I must break you. Welcome to I Must Break This Podcast. This is the fan podcast celebrating the cinematic career of action legend Dolph Lundgren. Hello and welcome back to I Must Break This Podcast. And today, well, it doesn't get much better than this, folks. Today we're taking a look at the 1992 action extravaganza Universal Soldier. In this classic film, Lundgren went back to playing a villain for the second round in his career, this time facing off against an on-the-rise Jean-Claude Van Damme as two deceased army soldiers who rekindle their feud from Vietnam when they are resurrected as part of a top-secret counterterrorism unit. I'm your host, Sean Malloy, and joining me once again to discuss this film is my good buddy, Chris Prentice. Chris, thank you so much for coming back, man. Oh, hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Like you said, this is definitely one of the, the, the true benchmarks of, uh, of Dolph's career, and I'm definitely uh, stoked to be talking about this one, because, uh, you know, even though it's, we're what now, gosh, uh, 26 years later, I mean, this is definitely one of the first movies that you think of uh, when you think of both these guys, Lundgren and Van Damme. Oh, yeah, it, it's easily the film that I think definitely helped put, well, let's face it, it helped put Van Damme on the map. I mean, he was already a rising star at this point, but it definitely um, helped put him on the map and solidified him as a uh, as a as an action star. Um, and Lundgren, I mean, you know, he's amazing in the role. This is easily one of Lundgren. I always felt one of his best performances, hands down. And anytime you hear anybody talk about this film or bring it up, um, it's always Lundgren's performance that always seems to get singled out um, in any kind of discussion on the film. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, this is, uh, even though you've got two guys kind of, at at this point, we're sort of in the same stratosphere in terms of their careers. Um, You know, when when you look at the performances, you know, it's Lundgren who who completely one-ups Van Damme in this one. Not that Van Damme is bad in the film or anything, but, you know, Lundgren has the more showy character. It's the bad guy. He gets to be way over the top. Um, so, I mean, he's, he's, when you watch the film, he's the, the, the element that really sticks with you. And, and that was the case when I saw it, you know, way, way, way back in the 92. And, and that's definitely how I feel about the movie today. Well, and I mean, if you look at, if you look at Lundgren's career around this time, you know, he had, I mean, he was trying new things. I mean, yeah, he was a full-fledging um, action star on the rise, but he was also dabbling and trying, uh, you know, and, and trying new roles and new new avenues for his career. I mean, he, he had tried his hand at a political thriller in Cover Up, um, which, you know, he kind of had, you know, middling success with. But Universal Soldier definitely came at a right time because, as we talked about um, back, back when we d- discussed I Come in Peace, this was 1992. And so the early, the early 1990s, this era of action films is just so, so glorious and so rich to look at because these films... You know, if you look at the action films today that are coming out, they just, I'm sorry, that they're, they're fun, don't get me wrong, um, some of them, of course, but they just don't hold a candle to what was produced and what came out in 1992. Um, and, I, you know, and I would say with regard to Universal Soldier, um, you know, <laughs> let's face it, you and I are probably going to be gushing over this film for the next hour and a half. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll let all the listeners know that right now. But this is, hands down, I would say, 
one of the best Dolph Lundgren films um, in his entire career. It's easily one of the best uh, of, of Jean-Claude Van Damme's films in his entire career. Um, one of the best action movies of the 1990s. This is one of my all-time favorite movies, you know, and I'm just going, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say that right now. Oh, no, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, this is, this is from that era. This is when, uh, you know, Carolco Pictures, you know, they were, they were on top. They were spending the big bucks, getting the big talent, and you know, even though this production of theirs isn't wasn't quite on the level money-wise as Total Recall or Terminator 2, I mean, I think Universal Soldier just fits in with those sort of with those sort of movies. Uh, you know, it has that same kind of uh, that edge to it, that same kind of impact, and uh, you know, it it was a special time for these sort of movies. You know, nowadays, every now and again, you'll see something come around that that is somewhat close to it. But you know, back in the late '80s, early '90s, you know, movies like this, it was common for stuff like this to come out. And uh, and Universal Soldier fits right in, I think, with the with the real heavy hitters from that era. Uh, it, it's again one of the one of the best for uh, for both me and Dan and Lundgren, and uh, it's it's holds up as well today as it did uh, back then. Oh, easily. And I'm so glad that you brought up the whole uh, Carol Co. Studios, because for anyone who doesn't remember Carol Co. Studios, you know, they were this distribution house that put out some of the most memorable and best-looking action films of the 1990s. I mean, if you look at their, at their catalog, at their filmography, you have Terminator 2, Total Recall, you have the Rambo films, they helped distribute Cliffhanger. You know, and like you said, the films all had this this edge. You know, they the films all had this this certain kind of a stamp and this sheen to them that um, you know that they were big budget, they were macho, they were just these these awesome action pictures at the time. Um, and yeah, like you said, Universal Soldier definitely fits. I always felt within this mold and within this wheelhouse. Um, I think within recent years, you know, they've kind of gotten unfairly passed off as being a uh, as being you know just another canon films but I think that could not be any more you know further from the truth you know canon films was you know that they they basically tried making chicken salad out of chicken shit and you know for lack of better terms whereas yeah. Carol Co Studios um, they, they they had some uh, they had some chicken salad for pardon the, the lame metaphor there but they they had some good stuff and unfortunately it's really unfortunate that they went bankrupt because all of these films, they were great. They still hold up to this day. They still look great. And how many how many films can you say that about from the 1990s that still hold up and still have just this this like you said this edge and this this uh, sheen to them? You know. Yeah. No. I mean, I think there there is there were some similarities to Canon in that they were you know they were independent companies. They were you know financing their own movies, and you know they were then. Studios would attach would attach themselves sort of after the fact, and they would they would pre pre sell these movies. So kind of the business model was somewhat similar, but where it completely veered off was you know Canon was was always trying to save a buck, do things on the cheap, and uh, keep keep budgets as low as possible. You know Carolco was kind of the, the opposite. It was we're going to spend spend spend. We're going to get the best directors. We're going to get James Cameron. We're going to get Verhoeven. You know, we're going to get Walter Hill, we're going to spend, we're going to get Arnold, we're going to get Sly, we're, we're going to get big stars and, and spend real big. And, you know, for a while, that, that strategy was paying off because, you know, they were having hit after hit after hit. But, uh, you know, uh, 
kind of a, at the end of their uh, their reign when it was getting down to stuff like you know Showgirls and Cutthroat Island, um, you know that's where it all kind of went went astray. Um, but certainly, I think Universal Soldier is 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 one of their successes. It wasn't a, a gigantic blockbuster in terms of of the grosses, but I, I believe it had a budget you know somewhere in the mid uh, twenty million range. And I think worldwide it did uh, over a hundred million, so you know that was certainly a success for them. So I mean that you know these were the kind of movies that uh, that that helped them keep going and keep afloat and keep putting on their their bigger productions. So uh, so I think you know I think Universal Soldier was definitely a success for them, and it, it like I said earlier it has that same vibe and that same sense of okay you know you're you're really watching something that's that's special here that. That, that you had with Total Recall and with uh, with Terminator 2 and you know even stuff like Cliffhanger I mean that was another Carol Co. Uh, production and uh, and I think it definitely shows all over Universal Soldier even though the budget wasn't quite as high as those other films I mean it's just packed with big stunts and big sequences and you, you got to give Roland Emmerich a, a ton of credit for taking uh, you know what was a, a medium sized budget at that point and, and making it look way more expensive no exactly and you know um i think you know if you take a look at the at the entire universal soldier series i mean it really has had um such a a bizarre um you know genesis over the years i mean how many how many franchises can you say outside of outside of the star wars and you know over <laughs> the various comic book franchises that are out there um but the fact that the first one came out in 1992 and this is just one franchise one series that um, doesn't seem to die, and you know the the, the two latest versions, which we're going to be getting to down the line, um, <clears throat> but uh, Universal Soldier Regeneration and then Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning, both of those directed by John Hyams, I enjoy those for what they are. I mean, I think they definitely um, helped put the series um, back on track, especially after the disastrous uh, Canadian ver, <laughs> the, the Canadian sequels and oh. and the other version with uh, yeah. with Van Damme, but. What I will say about the the latest versions, the John Hyams ones, is they just they don't have that they don't have that Carl Co stamp. You know what I mean? They just don't have that that Carl Co feel to them. And um, you know, say what you will about about Universal Soldier and about you know any of any of Van Damme's subsequent films or any of uh, of Dolph Lundgren's subsequent films. But I think one of the things that helps uh, that helps make Universal Soldier stand out and still hold up to this day again is that Carl Coe stamp oh, oh without a doubt and you know I enjoy the two uh, the, the two most recent sequels that, that came from John Hyams and and I think that's another case where you know a, a much tighter budget and, and he made them those movies look as good as they possibly could considering some of the, the limitations that were in place um, but yeah in terms of matching up to the original Really, nothing that's that's come after uh, the, the the original has really been able to match that tone and that that style and just that sort of over the top feeling that, that you had um, with, with the original movie. I mean, I think there's some really amazing sequences in uh, in Regeneration, and I think the whole ending sequence in uh, Day of Reckoning is fantastic, um, and and I think. Th I would say that those are worthy sequels. Like I think you can watch the original film, Regeneration and Day of Reckoning, and you're watching you know three 
pretty outstanding movies. So in that sense, I feel like the movies go together, and certainly the two most recent sequels, like you alluded to, you know, far exceed uh, Universal Soldier: The Return and the the Canadian TV movies. Um, but yeah, really, much in the way that nothing has really been able to match the original RoboCop as many times as they you know tried. Nothing has really quite been able to match the original uh, Universal Soldier. Yeah, now let me ask you real quick, and then, you know, I know we spent a lot of time talking about Carl Coe Studios. I mean, that this could be, that could be an entire podcast in itself. But if you remember oh, sure. back in, back in 2003, they tried when, back in 2003, when, um, when Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines came out, um, they tried uh, resurrecting the studio in a sense. Uh, Mario Kassar and um, Andrew Bajna who you know were the uh, the masterminds behind the studio uh, they you know they financed and um, helped produce the Terminator 3 and were you like me and were, did you get slightly excited hoping that maybe there might be a rise of this studio again it wasn't called Carlco Studios if you remember they named it C2 Pictures or C2 Studios and I think they only produced Terminator Terminator 3 and then I think they just pretty much folded after that as well yeah, I mean, it, I do remember the, the C2, and and I recall, you know, thinking, oh, okay, hey, these are the guys behind Carol Co. Okay, maybe they're making another go of it. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I never really felt like there was going to be any kind of resurgence of Carol Co. Just because, I mean, I think it, it would have taken a few more projects to, to come from those guys to where maybe I would have believed that that was that that was uh, coming back. So I never really felt like that was that was going to happen. Uh, you know, you don't really see quite. A, I mean, there really hasn't been anything like Carol Co. You know, since it folded up. Um, you know, now there there is there's Millennium, and they've kind of taken the. They sort of are, are an offshoot, I would say, of Canon, because a lot of the people who were involved with Canon uh, went on to you know basically start up Millennium, and you know they they've sort of um, succeeded where Canon failed, and that they've been able to kind of uh, stay afloat and still produce movies but but they they certainly aren't doing the sort of budgets and the sort of you know big time directors that that Carolco was getting i mean they were getting everybody I mean, oliver stone you know did the doors with them you know when he was at kind of the height of his of his powers uh so i mean there just hasn't been any sort of independent studio that's uh that that's had quite what Carolco was able to do no, no, yeah, everything you said is exactly correct. And, um, you know, the other thing that I want to put out there right now about this film is I always feel like um, by many who, who look at the film or who remember it, it's always been one of those things that's kind of been unfairly written off as a Terminator or a Robocop copycat or a Terminator or a Robocop knockoff. And I always felt that that could not be further from the case. I mean, first of all, in this film, uh, you know, that they are not cyborgs, first of all. You know, and I mean that they may act like it, but I mean these are reanimated pieces of of dead flesh. I mean, you know what I mean. I, I'd say it's more in tune with a zombie film, if anything, if you really want to go there, than it is a a, a Terminator or a RoboCop, you know, <laughs> ripoff. You know, so that that was always one criticism that I always felt was was pretty unfair and unjust in criticizing the film. Well, I mean, I, I never really see the comparisons to RoboCop as, as, as a criticism. I, I think there are similarities in that, you know, you have, just like you have Alex Murphy, who's killed, becomes RoboCop, has the, the flashbacks to, to what was going on in his own life. 
you have the same thing with Luke Devereaux. You know, he's killed, he's brought back, but he has these flashbacks. So, I mean, I think there, there are some similarities to RoboCop, and, and I, I, mean, I don't really think of that as a slight. I think it's just kind of, you know, taking, taking that basic story and, you know, turning it into more of a military setting with these, you know, ultimate super soldiers. And, I mean, there have been so many of these, you know, ultimate, you know, the, the ultimate soldier, you know, a lot of them very kind of cheap, you know, B-movies. I mean, there's all there's been all kinds of, uh, of that concept. And uh, and so I, I don't really think it's, I, I would never really say it's a RoboCop ripoff, but, I mean, I do think there are similarities, and, and I think there, it, 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 I don't see that as a slight at all. Um, I mean, I love RoboCop, so anything that can kind of, be somewhat similar and, and still have uh, you know that that style of action, and as well as the sense of humor. I mean, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of really good comedic moments in Universal Soldier that you know maybe not quite the type of satire that you had in RoboCop, but there's definitely a lot of tongue-in-cheek moments that I think have really helped the film age uh, over the last 26 years. Now, let me ask you: um, When did you first see the film? I'm assuming did you see it in theaters when it first? came out and and why did you see it was were you a fan of both Lundgren and Van Damme or was it you know one or the other what what when did you see this film I'm curious about your first exposure to you it know, I, I I'm, I'm somewhat ashamed to admit but I actually did not see it in the theaters when it first came out it was I know I pretty vivid I remember it was you know summer of 1992 um, I was very excited for it and I can't even really nail down why exactly I didn't see it, but you know, for whatever reason, I did not see it in the theaters uh, back in '92. Um, but so I eventually saw it when it first came out on video, um, you know, which would it would have was right around the, maybe the holidays in, in 1992, because I, I do remember faintly being kind of on break from uh, from school for the holidays when I did see it. And I mean, as soon as I watched it, I mean, it just it blew me away. I mean, it. it I mean, I, I had felt bad that I hadn't seen it in theaters because you know I'd heard a lot of good things about it, and, and you know that was really at that period where I was watching so many of these sort of movies. I mean, lots of Lundgren stuff, lots of Van Damme's movies, and uh, and so you know while I was uh, regretful that I did not get to see it originally on the big screen, uh, as soon as I was able to watch it on video, I mean, it, it was. It, it, it exceeded my expectations, you know, w without a doubt. So I actually, I actually did see this film in the theaters, and you know, one of one of the reasons why I have such a, an affinity for it is, you know, also the nostalgic factor as well. But this was actually I'm kind of ashamed to admit this in a, in a in a weird way. But um, this is actually the very first rated R movie I ever saw in theaters. I was oh, wow. either I was yeah I was about nine or ten years old actually, and it's a funny story actually. Um, you know, I was a huge fan of, of Lundgren. I've, I've talked about this before, but, you know, um, He-Man was kind of my gateway into, into Lundgren. So, you know, I was a huge fan of Lundgren. So I was trying to see everything that he had done. And I remember seeing the trailers for this when this had come out. And so, you know, seeing, you know, okay, it was, it was a Van Damme movie, and it was also, you know, a Dolph Lundgren movie. So I had to see it for that reason, because, you know, it starred Dolph Lundgren. Um, ironically, I always felt around this time, I think, Lundgren was trying to distance himself as far as possible from his from his role as uh, as He-Man. Oh, sure, you know, I sure. think 
around this time he was you know Lundgren was always a little embarrassed by that role of He-Man and so if you look at if you look at He-Man compared to compared to Universal Soldier and He-Man I mean that they're basically the two characters are polar opposites He-Man is this you know the ultimate idealistic good guy and then in Universal Soldier he goes back to playing a villain and he is this bigot psychopath yeah <laughs> you know and so yes. um, I remember seeing it in the theaters and I don't think my parents knew that it was going to be as violent as as <laughs> as it turned out to oh, be sure. I think that was maybe a decision that they that they regretted doing but um, you know that there was no uh, there was no you know taking it away from me uh, it, it, it stuck with me it's one that I'll always remember and like you said a lot of people seem to forget this but this was a huge summer release this was July of 1992 so yeah, yeah, I remember seeing this in the theaters. I believe it came out the same weekend or within the same two-week span of uh, the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids sequel. Yeah, I because because I, I do remember that those were the two movies that uh, that I was gonna get to go see in theaters, and um, I was surprised by going to see the Violent Rated R one as opposed to the one that was probably more up my alley and appropriate for me. So <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's funny because I mean I remember. That was, you know, that year, 1992, I mean, because that, that was actually the, the, my, my first year in high school, and I remember pretty vividly, that was kind of the first year where I was seeing a lot of R-rated movies in the theater. I mean, I remember seeing Lawnmower Man, and Lethal Weapon 3, and you know, White Men Can't Jump, and Deep Cover, and so, I mean, I saw a lot of movies that year, and, and I, I really can't even explain exactly how I missed Universal Soldier in the theater, because I was hyped for it, I was excited, but I don't know, for whatever reason, I, I guess I, I just, I didn't have, you know, I, I, didn't, I wasn't driving at that point, so um, I, I just missed out on that one, and, uh, but, but yeah, it was a, that was a really good uh, summer for movies, I mean, besides this, you had Rapid Fire, you had Unforgiven, unlawful entry so i mean there were a lot of pretty cool movies that came out around that time and you know i i have no shame in saying that universal soldier is is my favorite oh easily easily and you know one of the one of the big things and i've discussed this before um with you and with others but one of the things that i've always just so appreciated about the film one of the things that i've always just loved about the film is how it was i always say this before you know this was the expendables before the idea of the expendables became became novel you know what i mean i mean and so and what i mean by that is you know in hollywood you know they they're always trying to get two two big name actors within a specific genre together in one film you know i mean if you remember back in 1995 when robert de niro and al pacino first got together uh, for the film Heat, where they were going to be squaring off. That was a big deal. Not only was it, you know, directed oh, yeah. by Michael Mann, but, you know, this was a film, you know, t two of the greatest actors of that particular genre squaring off. I mean, it was, it was Mann. Get ready. They, they finally pulled it off, you know. And, you know, back in the 80s and the, and the early 90s, you know, Hollywood had been trying to find a vehicle, find a film for, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone to to team up or, you know, square off against each other. But the problem with those guys is they weren't going to share top billing like that. Their egos right, were right. not going to to allow something like that. And so what they did, as I always thought was extremely clever, is, okay, if, if, if Sly and Arnold are on the A list, if they're on the top tier, if you go to the B squad, if you go to the B list, okay, 
then it's possible. Then you can do it. And that's exactly what they did. And I was just thought that was such a, you know, story, story aside and, you know, the, the actors aside, just I always loved and appreciated the idea of, you know, these two big name action stars finally getting together in a film and squaring off. And they square the fuck off in this film. You know, so. Oh, yeah. Well, I think it's, you know, bringing up heat. I mean, that's actually, you know, a good analogy because, you know, obviously I'm not going to try and say that Van Damme and Lundgren acting wise are in the, the same category as Pacino and De Niro. But, I mean, Universal Soldier is basically the heat of, you know, B-grade action movies. I mean, they're... they're oh, exactly. That's what it is. I mean, you, you mentioned The Expendables, and this was kind of the closest that we had to The Expendables in the early 90s. Because, you know, look, action movies were huge in this period, but everybody was sort of in their own universe. You know, Sly was doing his thing, Arnold was over here, Seagal was over there... You know, Van Damme, Lundgren, you know, they all were kind of in their own universe. They were kicking ass in their own movies. And, I mean, I remember, you know, when I was younger having these debates with people. Oh, man, wouldn't it be great if all these guys were in the same movie? And, oh, who do you think would, you know, do this? Who do you think would do that? And, and Universal Soldier was, like, the closest we got to, to that promise of, holy crap, finally we've got these, you know, we've got at least two of these guys in the same movie and they're, I mean, they're, they're beating the fuck out of each other, and it's fantastic, and and so it, it's amazing to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 great, and um, and it, it's funny. I mean, I, I wonder if uh, the excitement over over you know having these two guys in the same movie, if it in any way was something that uh, prompted Warner Brothers to to go ahead with Demolition Man, because you know originally. As I've always heard, Demolition Man was was supposed to be uh, Van Damme and Seagal. Um, it was it was going to be Seagal in the Stallone role and Van Damme and what, what ended up being the Snipes role. So I wonder if just you know maybe the fact that there was some excitement over Universal Soldier was kind of what got Warner Brothers thinking, oh well, geez, people kind of want to see these these guys in the same movie together. You know, let, let's see if we can get uh, two icons to do the same thing and they, they basically did with demolition man um but but i have always kind of wondered if if humor soldier had any kind of influence at all on that you know it, it, i i honestly think it did and i think it definitely had an influence in in 2009 when the expendables got underway but what was amazing to me about expendables which by the way that's one episode i cannot wait to get to with you but but you know with with the Expendables, it seemed like Universal Soldier, in a lot of ways, kind of got forgotten. You know what I mean? Because I remember yeah. when that came out, it was just so amazing, you know. And, and, and it was cool to see, don't get me wrong. But in the back of my head, I was always thinking to myself, well, this has been done before. It's, it's, it's not, you know, it's not that, that new of an idea. If you guys remember Universal Soldier? And so that's why I think Universal Soldier was ahead of its time. Now, if you go forward to escape plan you know i feel sly and arnold you know tried this this same the same tactic the same you know strategy to kind of help revitalize their careers and escape plan is okay don't get me wrong but what is what is so unfortunate about it is that it came out way too late i mean well, yeah. let, let's be perfectly honest sure. escape plan came out way too late and by the time it came out it didn't even make a dent at the box office because you know what people didn't care at that point you know yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, no, I, I agree with that. And I like Escape Plan. I think it's a, it's a fun movie. I think it's I think Arnold is, is awesome in that movie. I mean, he really, you know, the character he's playing is is not your usual Arnold type of character. And I think he does an excellent job. And it's fine. It's a fun movie. But yeah, it is. it was too late. It's, you know, honestly, it's, it was probably about at least 15 years too late in terms of people really being excited about it. It wasn't, you know, I think that's one of the great things about well, both Universal Soldier and Heat is you've got these kind of, you know, these titans going head to head and they're in their prime. I mean, uh, you know, Van Damme and Lundgren were, were definitely in their prime for Universal Soldier. And I think, you know, Pacino and De Niro, even though they had been around a long time when Heat came out, they were both definitely in their acting prime and still, you know, as great as they were in the 70s and 80s, they were just as good back in 95. And uh, so, so, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the Expendables, I think, took it a step forward and that they had all these guys finally teaming up and that was sort of a novelty and and I certainly enjoyed it when that movie came out. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that, whole, that, that whole period of 92 and finally seeing, you know, two of these, these the, the heavyweights in, in the action genre finally, you know, going after each other, uh, it, there really wasn't anything at all like it up until that point. Well, and let's face it, you know, this was a big opportunity for both Jean-Claude Van Damme and Lundgren. I mean, this is a huge opportunity for them. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, again, they're on that second tier. They're on that B list. And so both of them, I think, had just this drive and this desire to rise to that A list. And so, you know, if you look at if you look at Jean Claude at this time, you know, he was a rising star who had some modest hits. I mean, he wasn't new to the game at this point when when he was approached for Universal Soldier, yeah. but he wasn't really a household name exactly yet. And you know, Lundgren, on the other hand, was kind of you know, I, I would say Lundgren was about at the same at the same grade, but I think he was a little more well known, you know, thanks to thanks to Rocky IV. But for all intents and purposes. You know, this was the opportunity for both of these heavyweights to really to really rise up and get there. And what I always thought was so interesting about this, and I cannot I cannot figure out for the life of me why, but with regard to Van Damme, I feel the the film had the intended effect for Van Damme. It definitely got him bigger roles and bigger films. He became oh, the yeah. go to action guy for Universal Studios after this film. Lundgren, on the other hand, yeah. I don't get it because, and it's sad because he is the best either. thing about Universal Soldier. But yeah, as soon as um, as soon as Universal Soldier came out, Van Damme, his career skyrocketed, and Lundgren, you know, yeah. was 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 set back once again. Yeah, and, and it, it's kind of a it's a double shame because yeah, I, I vaguely remember when Universal Soldier came out um, at that at that point. It was the summer of '92. You know, Dennis Miller had a, a short-lived talk show. It was Dennis Miller's kind of shot at kind of going at, at, at the same time period as, as Jay Leno and Arsenio's. You know, it was a syndicated show, but it was a, his, his talk show. And he had Lundgren on to promote Universal Soldier. And I vaguely remember, you know, he came out and, you know, they, he asked, Dennis Miller asked him the question, oh, well, what are you working on right now? And, you know, Lundgren said, oh, well, I'm working on Joshua Tree. It's this movie that, uh, you know, I think it's got car chases and, you know, it's got shootouts. I think it's going to be pretty good. And and sure enough, you know, that that was the, the first movie he had, you know, done after Universal Soldier. And which to me, I, mean, I know at some point we'll probably be talking about that, that movie in greater detail. But, you know, that's a really kick-ass movie. 
I think that's a movie that I'm not going to try and pretend it would have been a gigantic hit if it had gone to theaters, but I, I think it would have done pr at least decent business because it's, it's a damn good movie. And so it's a shame that he, he wasn't able to parlay the, the success of Universal Soldier into the, the, the type of stardom that would have gotten uh, Joshua Tree, which later in the U.S. was named Army of One, on the big screen. And it's really too bad because I, I think when you watch Army of One, it... it, it definitely has a, a big screen feel to it especially to some of the sequences and so yeah i, I don't know why uh, after universal soldier you know one of his best performances and one of his biggest successes why it, it took another three years for him to, to get back on the big screen it, it you're right it really made no sense yeah yeah um you know i will say that after army of one um, Lundgren followed that up with Pentathlon, which last time you and I right, spoke yeah. about. Right. Well, I, so. I was I was gonna I was gonna ignore that one. Because, <laughs> you know, that's uh, I wasn't gonna talk about that one. But then, hey, I think it was right after that he did Men of War, which I think is another one that I think could have been a theatrical. Oh yeah, no, Men of War definitely could have. So yeah, that was, and it's always it's it's such an anomaly, you know, it really is. And I, I don't even know if well, I mean, I, well, I guess maybe Lundgren would know, but it's just such an anomaly that you know. Van Damme, you know, and I, I, this one, I'll admit it right now, this film was my gateway into Jean-Claude Van Damme. I hadn't seen any of, uh, any of his work prior to Universal Soldier, and then after Universal Soldier, when he became the big guy for, for Universal Pictures, I started following his career. But yeah, I, I do not understand why Lundgren, um, why his career did not lift off even further after this role, because, yeah, he is probably the most memorable thing about this film. He is amazing about it. And I will I also remember now I did not see the Dennis Miller <clears throat> the Dennis Miller interview, but I do remember two things. I do remember seeing this in the theaters. If you remember these days, um, back uh, back in the day, AMC theaters when you'd when you'd go to the go to the theater, they would have like a little newsletter, like a little pamphlet that would that they would, you know, that would be in the lobby or the box office that you know you could read and it'd okay. be have interviews with with some of the actors and some of the movies, and I remember there was an interview in there in one of those one of those flyers with Lundgren, not with Van Damme, keep in mind, but with Lundgren. Oh, wow. And then I also remember picking up uh, picking up an issue of. Do you remember the magazine Starlog? I do. Oh yeah, definitely. Again, it was in July when this when Universal Soldier came out, and it was a four page interview with Lundgren in that as well. So yeah, so yeah huge missed opportunity but you know the fact that we're still talking about it now you know today all these years later you know i think is definitely a testament to just just the the, the long-lasting power of the film oh yeah no no doubt i mean if if you know look i i know the the, the film that you uh, you covered uh recently on on this podcast was cover up and you know that that's one that has been completely forgotten for good reason <laughs> it's just not. It's just not very good. And and whereas you know, with Universal Soldier, it's great. It's still great. It's it's as to me as good now as it was back then. So yeah, it absolutely sh should be one that is celebrated to this day. Because uh, again, like like you mentioned earlier, I mean, yeah, a lot of, a lot of action movies come out. I mean, heck, already this year, I you know, there was there's been a few. There's been Proud Mary. There was Den of Thieves, uh, which I really like Den of Thieves, by the way. But, um, but, you know, they just, they don't, uh, a lot of times there's just no impact to them and they don't stick with you and they don't, they don't cling to you like Universal Soldier does. And I mean, look, that's a movie that I, I mean, why, why does a movie, you know, that, that really, it's not a very deep film. 
it's not about a very important subject but why does something like that you know just seep into your head forever and, and it has and, and i think it's the same for you and i think that's the same with a lot of people who are our age who kind of remember when it first came out it's one that just stays with you well and this film does not let up i mean this film is no. going at such a quick pace i feel like that is one of the one of the definite pluses to the film is just it it, it, it is lean, and it, and once it gets going, it gets going. And this is one of the things I wrote down, is the first 15 minutes of the film, I always felt are amazing. You know, I um, you know, I, I took a screenwriting class in college, you know, it, it was for a year, I remember. And one of the things I remember that, that they taught you, and if you pick up any screenwriting book, it will tell you this, but, you know, Screenwriting 101 will tell you that in writing an action film, or any thriller for that matter, the goal is to get to the action immediately. Okay, you want to get if you have an action film, you have a thriller, that's the genre, you gotta get to the action immediately. And Universal Soldier does all this within the first fifteen minutes, but what's amazing about it is it also establishes the characters, it establishes your hero and your villain, gives you everything you need to know about them, about their motives, about everything that is going on, and it immediately clicks, you know, to thirty years into the into the future or the present day at the time if you will and you get to see the characters reanimated once again I mean and and we can go back and we can discuss you know how the, the the hero and the villain kill each other which is an equally really cool scene but that's always one thing that I always appreciate is just the film is so lean and within those first 15 minutes it is going and it is clicking at such a great pace but you get the exposition in just the right dose and just what you need Oh no! I no! I could could not agree more. Uh, you know, immediately we we know the conflict. We know who's good. We know who's bad. They they set up their rivalry right away. I mean, it's it, Lundgren is just from the from his very first appearance on screen. I mean, he is a completely whacked out character. I mean, he is he's Tom Berenger from Platoon turned up to 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 eleven, and uh, and yeah, it sets things up perfectly. And I mean, also with regards to the to the opening, I mean, I think maybe the the coolest ever um, open opening way to show your stars' names in the credits ever with the, oh, yeah. the zipping of the of the body bags. I don't think any movie has been able to top that since. Oh, I always loved that as well. I always loved that because again, yeah. if you go back to you know the whole idea of pitting these two macho action star meatheads against each other to open the film that way I mean you know going into the film that these that these soldiers do die and that they are reanimated but yeah you get this action sequence at the beginning where you know you, you're introduced to you know the character of Luke Devereaux played by Van Damme who's this good old boy who just wants to go home and then you have Lundgren who's just this uh, deranged psychopath who you know war has turned him you know, completely deranged. I almost kind of wondered if his character was a slight commentary on the mental state of soldiers who returned home, but, you know, maybe I'm looking at that too deeply for this film. But regardless, the fact that we see this hatred, um, Van Damme does not want to, you know, uh, does not want to fight his superior, but, you know, he has to do what he needs to do. He's, you know, protecting these innocent, you know, these innocent civilians. And yeah, like you said, they kill each other, and yeah, the zipping of the body bags, you have the, the, the uh, Van Damme's, excuse me, Van Damme's body bag gets zipped up, and then boom, Van Damme slowly, you know, pops on the screen. Oh, yeah. Jean Claude Van Damme, Dolph Lundgren's body bag zips up, and then boom, Dolph Lundgren pops on screen. And then just the way 
Universal Soldier, that those titles oh, yeah. just fly into the screen is is amazing. Oh no, no, without a doubt. I mean, it's like, I mean, if, if that doesn't get you completely jacked to watch the rest of the movie, then, then nothing is. I mean, if you're not into it after those first five minutes, then just turn it off because you're not you're not going to be into it. I mean, that that's, no. It, basically, it it tells you right there what this movie is and whether you're going to like it or not. And I, I, I doubt there's anybody who says, ah, you know, I love that for that opening scene, but yeah, the rest of it, no. It's just not going to work that way. I mean, you, the movie is basically saying, it, it's announcing its presence right there in that opening scene. Well, in those opening titles, actually, I mean, I distinctly remember coming, coming home after seeing this film in the theaters and, you know, telling my friends about it, and it was the opening scene that, uh, that, that I told, I would say, the most out of the rest of the film. I mean, there were a few other action sequences that I, you know, would, you know, uh, retell and, you know, try and act sure. out to my to my buddies. But yeah, that opening sequence, I remember telling them about it, you know, saying that this is just the best way to open it. I always kind of wondered, um, you know, I guess in an interview that, that Lunger did on the, on the special edition a disc that came out about 10, 12 years ago, um, you know, Lundgren, you know, was being interviewed, and he said that the original script for the film was called Crystal Knights, and he said that it wasn't yes. that great, and, you know, it was rewritten. I don't know if you were like me, but I always I always kind of wanted to take a glance at this script and see what it was like. I guess it was a little more sci-fi than what the film ended up being, because I guess you could say that the film, in the end, in its completed state, is science fiction, but I always felt it was a little more grounded. I always looked at it more as an action picture than a sci-fi picture. So I don't know right. what the initial script for Crystal Knights looked like, but that's something that I think you know would be interesting to look at. Yeah, I mean, I don't know a ton of about in terms of the differences between Crystal Knights and what became Universal Soldier. I mean, I do know that you know when before it ended up with Roland Emmerich, um, Andrew Davis, he was attached to direct. But I mean, I'm, I'm sure that was well before Van Damme and Lundgren were involved. So I think that that was you know back when they were still still using the, the Crystal Knights script. Uh, so I don't know a lot about the differences. I I would love to read that and just kind of get a, get an idea uh, of what what it entailed. And, and I agree with you that I mean I think there's elements of science fiction in the movie. But I mean this is an action film through and through. Uh, I mean you're you're not really I don't think anyone's really watching this for its it's you know science fiction premise or for for any any of those reasons i mean you're watching it because you know you want to see these two guys beat the hell out of each other you want to see uh you know the cars explode you want to see that big ass truck explode at the end um i mean that that's why you're watching it but i mean it, i think there are some pretty cool cool elements of science fiction in terms of the the whole uh, you know the the, the the serum that basically uh, controls them that the military uses. So I mean there are, there are some some cool things like that, and I think some some good gags in terms of needing the bodies to be frozen. That that kind of leads to uh, a lot of the the comedy in the film, especially in the the supermarket scene. But yeah, I mean this this is definitely you know I think you would call something like uh, Terminator Two or Total Recall. You know those are often referred to as you know sci-fi action. You know, this, I think, is, is action sci-fi, basically. Now, you know, I don't know if you always wondered this as well, but how much of the, of the Andrew Scott character do you, think, do you think Lundgren brought to the role? Because obviously he was signed on for this role, and, you know, he's, he's playing the part that, was, that, was, that he was signed on to do. But 
with regard to the ears and just you know his his entire the way he is i mean there are so many cool character traits and you know little quirks with the character that i have to wonder how much of that was on the script and how much of that did lundgren you know bring bring to the screen bring to the role uh yeah i mean that's a good question i mean you know from the from that that you know dvd now blu-ray the special edition that's out there i mean it sounds like it was this was a movie that you know he really gave his all into in terms of trying to build the character and you know trying to create a background for the character and you know he really went in you know basically you know as hard as he could to 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 make this character just you know come alive and and uh, basically, you know, swallow the whole screen, which the character does. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's another good question as to how much of that stuff was was his idea, how much of it was in the script. Um, I mean, whatever the case, I mean, he, he, he pulls it off incredibly well, and and you know, basically, honestly, one of my my all time favorite screen villains. I mean, you just you can't go wrong with him. He's funny. He's psychotic. Uh, you know, great fight scenes. I mean, he just kind of has a little bit of everything and does it so well. So, uh, I mean, I think you got to give him credit for, you know, really kind of, you know, breaking a stereotype because up until that time with all of his movies, you know, I think a lot of people kind of figured, ah, he's always just playing a variation on Ivan Drago and, oh, okay, he doesn't say a lot of words and he's, okay, he's this big, big Frankenstein kind of looking guy. And, I mean, he basically takes that whole stereotype and just shatters it with this movie. And he's just so over the top and so wildly entertaining. So, I mean, it was it was a real revelation for him at that point. Well, and one of the one of the major, major character traits, you know, of his entire character, let's face it, are the ears. You know, he his right. victims, he likes to cut their ears off and then he makes a a, a wonderful ear necklace. And... Um, you know, look, we, we can't discuss this episode without discussing the ear necklace. And would you mind uh, would you mind telling us regarding the eBay purchase that you made about 15 years ago uh, that that is related to the film? <laughs> well, absolutely, yeah. I think it was yeah you know, right around that time, 15 years ago, that saw them up for auction. It was uh, the, the the screen used ear necklace. Now, I'm sure, like like is the case with with lots of movies, there's there's probably more than one. So I'm not going to try and portray that these are the this is the only necklace in existence because you know they 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 use multiple versions of cars and multiple versions of of all kinds of things. So you know, for all I know, there's other necklaces out there, but this this is the what what I have is is one of the uh, screen used. Uh, ear necklaces from Universal Soldier, and uh, and and I gotta say, I mean, you know, it was I was it was a proud purchase 15 years ago, and if anything, I'm even more proud to own them to this day. Um, you know, it's 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 you know, I don't I don't think I'm going to be having children. You never know, but I don't think I'm going to. And so, I mean, that's basically those ears are my. Legs. What uh, what what is the conversation like when you know when someone walks into your place and you have this 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 ear necklace on display? Is it just you know kind of known and assumed that you know oh that that's that's Chris there you go or do you have to explain it I'm I'm just curious. Well, I mean it's pretty simple. I mean if uh, if, if if you are in my place and and you 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 don't you don't um, respect the necklace then, then get the <laughs> hell out. 
I mean, it's pretty simple. I mean, there's there's really there's no there's no two ways about it. I mean, this is this is it's history. I mean, I I mean, would, if you walked into uh, someone's uh, someone's residence and and you you know you saw the uh, jacket worn by Steve McQueen and Bullet or the gun uh, the shotgun used by Clint Eastwood at the end of Unforgiven. I mean, you would you would respect those items and you would understand the the, the importance and the significance of them. And to me, the, the ear necklace uh, adorned by Dolph Lundgren and Universal Soldier is no is, different. Is right no up there different. with with Balboa's gloves and uh, Jerry Seinfeld's puppy shirt, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't want no puppy shirt. I mean, that, I mean, you can have your puppy shirt. Um, you know, that, 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 that to hell with that. Um, no, I mean, the, the, who, to me, it's like, I mean, what what more iconic piece of jewelry is there in action yeah. movies you know what i mean i mean what what other is there a better is there a better necklace in action movies well and this no, this opening not. scene this opening scene in vietnam of the film where they're in this firefight you know i believe this is actually the first scene that 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 lundgren and and van damme had filmed together and so yeah lundgren tells tells a hilarious story about this scene you know, as it's filmed. You know, if you remember the scene, <clears throat> you know, uh, Lundgren, you know, his character, Andrew Scott, has these two innocent Vietnamese villagers. You know, he's you know, holding them hostage, essentially, and they're completely innocent. Luke Devereaux comes in, is telling, is telling his, you know, his superior, you know, hey, look, these people are innocent. My tour is up. I just want to go home. They get into a huge fight. Now, I guess the scene where, where Lundgren is getting ready to execute the two civilians, uh, Van Damme kicks the gun out of his hand. Now, you can only imagine, you know, okay, look, you have two, you know, two of the biggest action stars, you know, you know, in this film, and they're both jockeying for screen time. I mean, if you think about it that way, they're, they're both jockeying for screen time, and each of these guys has something to prove. You know, each of these guys, you know, wants to get to the top, and they, you know, want to look great on screen. So there's this competitive, you know, machismo going on on set. And so I guess in this scene, <laughs> you know, Van Damme uh, kicks the gun out of Lundgren's hand, and I guess he kicks it really hard. And Van Damme, or excuse me, Lundgren, is just kind of like, okay, that, that doesn't seem right. He does it again, and at this point, Lundgren goes over to his karate sensei and tells him, you know, okay, this, this isn't right. The karate sensei then goes over to the stunt coordinator, who then tells Van Damme, hey, look, look, you touch Dolph like that again, Dolph is going to kick your ass. I just think that story is hilarious. So then by the time the third or fourth take goes around, yeah. I guess Van Damme just did a little tap on that scene. So if you watch that scene, it is hilarious. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I'm, I'm sure there, you know, there's probably all kinds of stories like that from this set because, you know, again, it was so rare to have guys like this in a movie together that there was probably all kinds of jockeying for position in it. Hey, I want this trailer bigger than that than his trailer. And hey, he's got the he's got the better poo-poo platter for lunch than I do. And you know, there, there's probably all kinds of stories like that. And even on the the, the, the making of Blu-ray and DVD, I mean, they have some behind-the-scenes stuff where uh, where they're kind of giving each other some shit, which is actually pretty funny. And I don't oh, yeah. know if you've ever seen it because um, I don't think it is on the uh, I don't I don't think this particular moment is on the the blu-ray special edition but i know there's a clip out there and it's probably still on youtube but there's a clip of van damme 
uh, when he's on the set, you know, behind, you know, between takes, where he does an impression of Lundgren, and it is spot on. It is um, it is uncanny how well Van Damme could do a Lundgren impression. Oh yeah, and I don't know if you've ever seen that before, but it, it's. And hilarious. you know, I do have to wonder, and at this point, I'm purely speculating. I'll admit that right now, I'm purely speculating, but I do have to wonder if. If these two guys, maybe they respected one another on set, but I have to wonder if maybe they did not get, if they did not get along too well on set. Because if you think about it, there was the premiere at the Cannes Film Festival where they staged that, you know, that shoving match that has gone down in infamy as, you know, at the time it was thought to be real, but it was just fake. You know, but if you look at, yeah, just publicity, but if you look at 1992 compared to 2010 when The Expendables came out, when those Expendables movies came out, all of those guys were together, you know, bandwagon promoting each of those films together. And Lundgren and Van Damme were not promoting this film together. They should have been. I always felt they should have been. But they never promoted the film together. They they never, even on the, uh, on the special edition when they do those interviews, they're not in the same room together. Now, again, like I said, I'm just speculating. They each had their own projects that they were going, that they were doing, but... I always kind of wondered if maybe the egos of both of these guys, maybe even more so Van Damme, let's face it, um, was just a bit too much to where they were like, yeah, we did that one movie and we're going to go our separate ways. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's probably the case, absolutely. I think they both, they saw the movie as a good chance to kind of team up and help each other's career and kind of use each other to sort of, you know, help elevate their positions and, you know, after that, you know, there was really no need. And, um, you know, Lundgren wasn't a part of the, the sequel uh, that came out in the late 90s. And, you know, so there really wasn't much reason for them to, to have any kind of a, a close kinship. But, I mean, I do think it's, it's cool that, you know, now, especially, you know, when they did Regeneration, which, you know, I think it was probably, what, about 17 years later. So between Regeneration... And then, of course, you know, doing the Expendables 2 together and, uh, you know, Day of Reckoning uh, and then onward to uh, just this, you know, last year when they filmed uh, Blackwater, which is coming out pretty soon. I mean, I think it's cool that they've kind of been linked forever because of Universal Soldier. And, you know, I think I would I would venture now. I don't know these for sure. I mean, I've seen interviews where they've been asked about each other and they're very complimentary. So I'm assuming they're on pretty good terms. And the fact that they've worked together as often as they have, I got to believe there's some sort of a friendship there. I, I, I'm not trying to portray that they have Thanksgiving together. But I think it's cool that after now 26 years, you know, they, they still have this kind of this 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 kinship. That, that is, is still going on to this day. That all no, I agree completely. I agree completely. And so, you know, if we jump forward in the film, you know, both both Luke Devereaux and Andrew Scott, they, you know, they kill each other, the body bags zip up, and then the film immediately jumps to 30 years later, where Luke and Scott have been resurrected as part of this top-secret counterterrorism group who are deployed to take on the impossible missions. That's one of the other things about the film. Like, like you know, we established how these first 15 minutes are so lean, but how it just immediately dives right into them being resurrected. We don't see any flashbacks of, of the process or anything. It is just them being deployed on the latest terrorist mission that they need to defuse. 
and we see them immediately resurrected. I always thought that was another neat touch. This film doesn't waste any time. It just gets moving. But again, gives us that, that exposition and gives us that character development just just the right amount. It's exactly what we need. Oh, yeah, no, it's, it's a great opening sequence um, because of, uh, of, of where it comes in the story, you know, this so early and, and how it, it, it basically, you know, takes us to present day and, and lays out that there's this, you know, ultimate badass crew of soldiers and, you know, they, they're the best of the best and they can solve anything. But, I mean, aside from all that and just kind of the, the, the narrative of it all, I mean, what a, a phenomenal sequence at the Hoover Dam. I mean, I don't think there had been anything like that in an action movie up and up until that point, and there really hasn't been a, a scene like that since. I mean, it's it, it really stands out, and it just makes the film seem so much bigger than it actually is. And man, you got to give Roland Emmerich a ton of credit for that sequence because. It just looks phenomenal. Oh yeah, no, you got to give Roland Emmerich ton of ton of credit, and you also have to give Dean Devlin, you know, the one of the writers for this, a ton of credit as well, because you know, from the yeah. writer's standpoint, okay, you have to establish that these soldiers are amazing, and you have to establish that these soldiers are badasses who can essentially do the impossible. So if they, you know, I'm, I'm thinking from the standpoint of the writer, okay. They want to come in and, you know, um, defuse this hostage situation where there are terrorists. Well, where could they do it? They could do it in an office building, sure. You know, I'm trying to think of public places. What is going to be an amazing location that is going to exhibit these guys doing, you know, amazing things that the regular human beings cannot do? And how they found the human, the, excuse me, the Hoover human, how they, how they found the Hoover Dam and how they decided upon that and got the clearances for that. But, I mean, man, talk about instant production value. I always thought felt that other screenwriters should look to Unisol, um, Universal Soldier, Unisol, how it's referred to in the film. But, you know, they should look to this film for, you right. know, just how to, how to direct and how to write and script an action picture and how to make instant production value out of what you have. Because just the shots of them scaling up the you know up the the, the buildings to get into oh, the yeah. dam and then scaling the dam itself is amazing i actually distinctly remember yeah. when i was 12 13 years old or so um going to las vegas and taking a tour of the hoover dam and to be perfectly honest i could i could care less about the hoover dam i wanted to see the shots where where universal soldier was filmed and so getting to see and unfortunately i didn't even get to get that close to the dam but them just scaling that on those on on the ropes or whatever, you know, running down the dam is just amazing to look at. Yeah, the the shots of them, you know, running forward down the dam. I mean that that it, it just looks so cool. And yeah, I mean when you see that, when you see these guys running forward down the dam, you're like, okay, yeah, these are the greatest soldiers uh, ever created by science. And you, you buy into the whole premise immediately, and it just it yeah looks no phenomenal. it looks great. And again, <laughs> I, I feel like a broken record, and I, I I hate doing that. But they diffuse the situation, all goes well, and all of a sudden, Luke Devereaux's flashbacks start to occur. He starts having these images and these flashbacks, and his his hatred for Andrew Scott is reignited again. 
all within the first 15 minutes. I don't know how they did this, but talk about a tight, tight, lean script that gets going and lets you know what you're in for. It's amazing. Yeah, well, I, I always wonder if, uh, you know, when Emmerich and Devlin, when they were when they were writing the, the script, if, uh, if the whole flashback um, at the dam that Van Damme has... If, if that was in any way inspired by uh, casualties of war, when uh, Michael J. Fox is on the uh, the subway and he you know he sees the the young woman on the subway that reminds him of what went on with him in Vietnam, oh I, I, yeah, I always kind of wondered if if that was if if they kind of if that was in any way an homage to that that moment in that movie. I you know I don't know how I'd, we'd ever be able to figure that out unless you talk to them directly. But that, that that's what it's always kind of reminded me is, is that moment in you know, Soldier. It's kind of just you know kind of always takes me back to that that very similar. You know I didn't even think about that, but yeah, I think that very that very well could be because you know let's face it on the on the offset this could be considered you know and looked upon as a you know a big dumb action picture. But there are moments in this film that I think are really trying to say something. And like I said earlier, you know, Lundgren's character, him being as deranged as he was, I couldn't help if wonder if by chance if they, you know, they're trying to, again to make some kind of slight commentary, some kind of slight uh, social statement on just the mental state of of so many soldiers, you know, after the war or during the war, you know. Yeah, no, I I think there's definitely something to that. You know, again, they're they're. It's not a movie that's really preaching. It's not a movie that that's 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 gonna make you really read up maybe more on on actual soldiers and and what they've gone through when they've come back home. So it's not in any way trying to do that. But yeah, it is making you sort of think and kind of make you say, "Hey, geez, God, what did this war to do to so many people?" Um, and, and and yeah, so I, I agree with you there that there's you know there's a little bit more going on. Uh, under the surface than, than you would expect from a Now, let's talk real quick about the suits that the soldiers wear because th this is something else that I always thought was <laughs> was so wicked. The suits that the, that the Universal Soldiers wear um, in this program are excellent. I mean, just the padding and the camouflage and, you know, the eyepiece goggle. I, I always thought they just, they, they look cool and, you know, let's face it, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Dolph Lundgren, Ralph Moeller, uh, uh, Tommy uh, Tiny Zeus Lister, I believe is his name. Tiny yes. Zeus they, Lister. They fill these yes. suits out so well, and they just look amazing in them. But yeah, like I said, the padding and the camouflage and those cool eyepiece goggles that they wear, you know, over their eye. Um, the, the, these suits are, they're, they're just badass to look at. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's basically, you know, it's taking... You know, it's taking a little bit of, of maybe like the Borg from Star Trek and, you know, a little bit of, you know, some special forces outfit and kind of melding them. And, and yeah, I mean, those are such awesome outfits, awesome uniforms. And, uh, I mean, I think that's something that they really blew in, when, when they did the sequel in the, in the late 90s with Van Damme is not really having that same kind of look to everything and, you know, they kind of, they just made things a little more generic, a little duller. And uh, because, yeah, those outfits are just, man, I mean, you're like, oh, of course. This is what, this is exactly what the, the elite um, soldiers who've been brought back from the dead would wear. Well, you're they, forgetting, they, though, that the sequel, the, the Universal Soldiers wore those sweet Oakley sunglasses. So let's let's not throw that out there. That was pretty cool, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, the, the, the. 
hey, the Oak, the Oakley people had money to spend, so damn but, you it, know, these one, guys one are going to wear them. I always thought was really cool. I mean, yeah, look, I don't know what goes on with the Academy and the Oscars and how they look at what to nominate, but you know, if you look at the suits and look at the the outfits that they wear, I what I always thought was awesome with them is how they just blend in so well with the film's desert setting. I mean, this film takes place in the Nevada and Arizona oh, yeah. desert. I believe it crosses those two states. And so just the suits that they're yeah. wearing blends in so well with the film, giving the film this this palette of just, you know, um, dark yellows and browns and, you know, some, some blacks. I always just loved the palette and always thought, you know, obviously the film didn't get nominated for an Academy Award, but I always thought, you know, for costume design, you know, the fact that this action picture designed just these cool-looking suits that blend in with the setting, that, that was cool. And I, I always felt that should have gotten nominated. Maybe it's because I'm biased to the film, yeah. but it should have gotten nominated. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I wonder, I mean, as a movie like this, do they even bother to, to, uh, to try and nominate something like this for, you know, outstanding costume? Because, you know, pretty much that award, it's always okay something that took place with the, you know, royalty in England in the, you know, 19th century, Victorian, that's pretty much the stuff that always wins uh, the best costumes, but come on, I mean, these, these costumes were, were out, out of this world, extremely well done, and yeah, I'm with you 100% that the, I mean, these were, these were... Well, and something else I'll throw out there as well that I always thought was wonderful, that a lot of people, you know, when, when Regeneration, the John Hyams sequel that came out back in 2009, when Regeneration gets discussed, one thing that does not get brought up in that one are the suits that the soldiers wear in that one. And what I always thought was just amazing with it is, okay, the first Universal Soldier takes place in this desert, and so the suits that they're wearing are just these, you know, these, yeah. these light brown colors, you know, to blend in with the, with the desert. Regeneration is the complete opposite, takes place in Russia, I believe is the country, right? Yes. And where it's the snowy landscape, and so the, the yes. suits that the soldiers are wearing in Universal Soldier Regeneration also blend in and help, um, help go along with that particular landscape. I'm assuming that was a conscious decision made on behalf of the production team, um, but that's something that I definitely noticed that I'm surprised does not get noticed by anyone else when, when it's being discussed. No, I mean, that's a, it's definitely that's a good point. Um, you know, the, the, the outfits in there, they go exactly with the setting and the terrain that they were dealing with in Regeneration. And, yeah, I, I got to believe, you know, John Hyams, I think, you know, just from listening to his commentaries and, and you know, seeing him interviewed – I mean, I think he's, he is the kind of guy that thinks about stuff like that. So, I mean, I'm sure that was a, a pretty conscious... So, as the, film, as the film progresses, you know, um, Devereaux was getting his, you know, his memories back slowly. But slowly but surely, he's getting his memories back. And we are also introduced to our, our third character in the film. You know, uh, Allie Walker portrays Veronica Roberts. You know, she is the accomplice for Luke Devereaux. Um, you know, she is the human counterpart for him, you know, as he goes along on his mission, kind of rediscovering himself, and as he's on the run, uh, before Andrew Scott, his memories start to resurface as well. Um, but she's essentially, I mean, let's face it, she's essentially fulfilling the Radon Chong character from, you know, from Commando, or the Maria Kachita Alonso character from The Running Man. You know, you need, for a film like this to exist, I always felt like, with, with any of these action pictures, especially with these action stars, you know, you need this 
this human counterpart or this human uh, accomplice to assist your hero because let's face it you know your action star is larger than life and you know when you have someone like Van Damme on screen when you have someone like Lundgren on screen you know these are larger than life heroes so you need this this human character for the audience to kind of um, see through and sympathize with in a way but Ali Walker is doing well I mean though the whole I the whole conceit of her being a reporter I will say always felt a little cliche and a little silly even by 1992 however Ali Walker She's playing the role excellent. I mean, she she is a wonderful actress who I'm surprised has not... I mean, she's had a career since then, but I'm surprised she hasn't gotten bigger roles since this because, I mean, she is playing, like I said, a simple reporter, but she's definitely memorable. You remember her at the end of the film. Oh, yeah. No, she, she does a phenomenal job. You know, I don't think I had seen her in anything up until that point. I don't know what she had done previous, and yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that this kind of character, the you know the the female, the the lead female in these kind of movies, a lot of times, you know, when you watch these kind of movies, you know, your your eyes can kind of gloss over because they just don't do a very good job. I mean, not necessarily because of the actress, but just the script doesn't really give them anything to do. But I think Ali Walker, she's phenomenal in this. I mean, I think she's funny. I mean, she's she's got you know a, a real good spirit about her. Um, I think she she can go run the gamut of emotions that that her character goes through, and and I really like her introduction when she first arrives on the scene and she's getting ready for the uh, for for the the first report in front of the Hoover Dam, and she's still got the cigarette in her mouth. And I mean, I I think she does an excellent job. And I think it's a really good introduction for her character. And, yeah, I mean, it's very similar, like you said, to Radon Shong and Commando and um, and Maria Conchita Alonso and The Running Man. And, and, I mean, I think there's nothing wrong with having these kind of characters in a film. But if you're going to do it, you know, do it right. And I think Ali Walker definitely does well, it right. Well, and, you know, if we, if we look at Universal Soldier Regeneration, the sequel, talk about doing it wrong. Because... <laughs> They try and hit that same beat once again with the sequel by having Luke Devereaux team up once again with a reporter. Only that reporter is just, you know, she is annoying. I think she'd be better suited as a as a supermodel or something like that. She's just not believable. Whereas yeah. Ali Walker, you know, no. she has this beauty to her. You know, what I mean, she she has this beauty to where she is more realistic. You know, what I mean, she's not this. Um, you know this this supermodel of sorts. She is a, a regular gal, but I mean she has this believable uh, attractiveness, beauty to her. And at the same time, you know she also has her flaws. Whereas, opposed to if you look at the reporter and reach and uh, right. and the return, you know she is just this perfect goody two shoes. I mean, I think the character even at one point in that film states that she was a cheerleader at one point. Whereas, you know, Ali Walker's yeah. Veronica Roberts. She, you know, you see her smoking a cigarette. You see her cursing. I mean, she is, she is wonderful. And those scenes where she is scared and frightened of Lundgren, you believe it. Yeah, like, and if I had to kind of find another example of this type of character is, you know, there's a reporter character in uh, the Chuck Norris movie, Invasion USA, and she's kind of the closest to a female lead in that movie who, you know, sort of helps Chuck Norris here and there and kind of, you know, is basically there because, hey, there has to be some kind of a lead female in the movie. And, she, I mean, it's just a, it's just a, a lame character, really adds nothing. There's uh, The actress isn't very good. 
none of the the traits that they have her uh for, they, they've given to the character work at all and i get that's another contrast with ali walker in this movie i mean she she is a full fleshed out character i mean she is someone that that you care about you know you you, you do not want to see her die in this movie and I mean that's kind of the that's the benchmark. And, and you, well, and you I distinctly remember. I mean, you can find Siskel and Ebert's review of Universal Soldier on YouTube. You can actually find Roger Ebert's review for the film. Um, you know, on his uh, I, I believe he wrote for the Chicago Sun Times, if I'm not mistaken. And I think you can yeah you can still find his his yeah, review right. for the film. And you know he wasn't a huge fan of the film. He he wrote it off as being another you know clunky action right. picture. But in both his video review and as well as the, the review in print, he singles out Ali Walker as just, you know, he says, you know, this is, this is an actress who really has something to bring. And, you know, here is, you know, this, this big, clunky, you know, dumb action movie, when, you know, which is what he thought, you know, whatever. Um, but he said that she is doing amazing and, you know, we're going to be seeing much more of her, you know, in later years. And she's had a career since then. I mean, let's face it, she... You know, she headlined that show that was on NBC for so many years, uh, Profiler. You know, she had a great, yep, she had Profiler, a great, yeah, um, yep. a great role as one of the antagonists in season, I believe it was seasons one and two, or maybe it was just season one of Sons of Anarchy, and she was wonderful in that one as well. It, yeah, she was. She was actually. I mean, off and on, I think it was the first three seasons okay, yeah. of Sons of Anarchy. She. You know, she would she would show up, and uh, yeah, I mean, she she was great on that show. Um, she also um, she was in a, a phenomenal episode of The Shield um, uh, in the middle of that show's run, where she actually played a prostitute. Um, uh, she I mean, she played basically a a relatively normal woman who ended up becoming a prostitute, and I mean, she was great in that. And she you know she actually. Turns out, I don't know if, if this is still the case, but she was actually married to the the head of FX, which you know kind of explains why you know she might have ended up on the Shield and and eventually on Sons of Anarchy. Um, I don't know if that's if she's still married to that gentleman. I don't even know if that gentleman is still the the head of programming for FX or whatever title he held. Um, but I mean, she was she was excellent on this particular episode of the Shield. Uh, so I mean, if you ever get a chance to, to track down and you want to see her give a really good performance, well, you know, going back to her her role when she was on Sons of Anarchy, you know, I think I think one of the the qualities when you know you have a solid actor, you know, in in your role is where you know you hate them one minute. But then the next minute, you can really sympathize with them. And I, you know, speaking to her character on Sons of Anarchy, I distinctly remember, you know, you hated her in that in that first season. I mean, because she was, you know, she was doing things, you know, a little crooked and everything. But then, you know, her final scene on the show, when she dies and she's praying for her life, you feel for her and you don't want her to die. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of that credit goes to Allie Walker because, I mean, she, you know, she brings it and she is believable in every role I've seen her in. She was also on. A, uh, a short-lived show on HBO that I only caught a couple episodes of, called "Tell Me You Love Me," um, and she was a uh, she was a, a housewife on that show, I believe. Um, but yeah, she 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 does well in everything that she does. I don't know what she's doing now, but um, you know, hey, if, if she's listening, keep keep doing what you're doing, Allie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I haven't. I mean, well, Sons of Anarchy that was I think the last thing that that I've seen her in. Um, uh, now I think you know we are forgetting you know one of you know if not obviously not as famous as uh, either Universal Soldier or Sons of Anarchy but one of her other 
extremely you know uh, influential performances as the 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 mother of the kid. Okay, the Kazan, <laughs> I was you know. I was thinking I was like is I was thinking in the back of my head I was like is he going to mention Kazam like <laughs> so. That's safe. I mean, it happened. You know, she cashed the check. So hey, you can't. But you, you know, and I haven't seen it. that God in years. But I will say, I remember seeing that, and she was believable as the mom. She wasn't. She wasn't playing that role like so many of the so many actresses in you know in the, those type of films play. You know, those type of characters. You know, it's just this this oblivious parent. I mean, she was she was believable as a mom. I, I do. I re- I do remember that. I believe she played a single mom, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, because, you know, whenever there's these movies with, I mean, if you've got a mom and a dad, why do you need a rapping genie? Yeah. I mean, that would be, that's, that's, that's a little, that's a little too much, basically. I think she was also in a, she was in a While You Were Sleeping, Yeah, yeah, she was. She had a, she had a pretty, pretty prominent role in that Yeah, she was. So, you know, and so we're discussing Ali Walker, one of the characters, and I will say one of the other characters in the film that needs to be discussed is the mobile command center? How badass is the mobile command center? The oh, truck yeah. that that uh, that Colonel Perry and uh, Colonel Perry and Woodward, Doctor Woodward, are using to to house the soldiers. That this this yeah. this truck, this command center that is moving, is such a character in itself. It's an original idea. It's a moving laboratory. Obviously, you can't have your soldiers, especially considering it's a chase movie. I mean, let's face it, the movie is a chase movie. You can't have, you know, all your soldiers stationed at one particular laboratory, especially when the entire project is top secret. So this this truck that they have that is chasing them is so cool looking, especially the way in the in the opening shots of the film, how it is expanding and opening up. I, I would love to talk to the to the tech designer of the film or, you know, whoever was designing the film. But just oh, yeah. the, the machinations of this truck are, are amazing to look at. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like you have this this ultimate, you know, group, uh, squad of super soldiers, and, you know, you, you can't just have them driving around or showing up in, like, you know, a town car or, you know, a sedan or anything like that. I mean, that, that's just not going to work. So, yeah, I mean, they, they created you know, the ultimate military vehicle, you know, pr- pretty much the... the my favorite, you know, military vehicle ever in a movie is is that English soldier truck, and uh, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate the movie wasn't quite big enough to spawn a, a line of, uh, of of action figures for aimed at children because God, I mean, kids would have loved to play with that big truck. Oh yeah, oh yeah, easily. And you know that, like I said earlier, you know the the truck, you know, houses, you know the the people who are in charge of the program. So you have Colonel Perry, portrayed by Ed O'Roth. Actually, both these characters are played by veteran character actors. Oh. Colonel Perry, played by Ed O'Roth. Many people yes. may recognize him as uh, uh, Vic- Victor Rosta from uh, from Red Heat. And then you have Woodward, played by Leon Rippey, who has also yes. had a, uh, a fun career that has spanned well over 30 years. Um, both of these characters are, you know, so memorable. And you know, and uh, like I said, we're going to be we've been gushing about this film for the for the past hour. But you know, these are small characters who you remember. You know what I mean? And I got to I got to put that on these actors' yes. shoulders. They picked wonderful actors for even these small roles that, you know, just stay with you. Yeah, I mean, Ed O'Ross, awesome character actor. Uh, you know, he's got 
the one scene in Lethal Weapon where he has the scene with uh, with Gary Busey and, and uh, Mitchell Ryan in the club there, where it's, it's a great scene where he's you know arranging his uh, his heroin deal and uh, you know the scene with the the, the, the lighter under uh, under Gary Busey, and uh, and he's also great in The Hidden uh, as as one of the, the main cops in that movie, and uh, I mean he was in a Full Metal Jacket and like you mentioned Red Heat. Uh, another 48 hours uh, yeah he's, he's he's one of those guys from that era that I always enjoyed seeing because whether the part was big or small um, you know he would add a little something to it um, I mean even under uh, tons and tons of, of makeup and and altering his hair uh, in his performance as uh, itchy I forgot Dick he Tracy. was itchy and Dick Tracy wasn't he Dick Tracy man has like the greatest lineup of of villainous actors ever with you know William Forsythe is a flat top I mean Ed Ross is itchy Henry Silva is influence um, I mean they got they I mean they Warren Beatty man he he got a real murderer's row for all those guys I mean unfortunately they're like you know just covered in pounds and pounds of makeup but uh but yeah I mean the, the, the cast in that movie is, is wild if you ever last thing I remember seeing Ed Ross in was didn't he own the deli in Curb Your Enthusiasm, that named a sandwich after after Larry David. Yes, that, yeah. that is right. Yes, um, that, that I think that that may be that may be the last performance that, that I saw him give um, as well. I don't know what he's if he's done anything since then. I, I do know, and this is, I never watched this cartoon because I mean it was it was kind of you know beyond when I was really watching these sort of cartoons but it's always stuck with me that he he is the voice of uh, the Tommy Lee Jones character in the Oh wow I <laughs> I did not know that I that's that may be the most useless piece of information in my head I, I think it's 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 quite likely that that it is. I mean, that's information that really will means absolutely nothing. But for whatever reason, I, I stumbled across that fact, and it's always stayed with me. So, yeah, Ed o. Ross is awesome, and you also mentioned Leon Rippey, uh, who's another guy who's been in tons of movies, a great character actor. Um, I, I I think the other movie that I, I most associate him with as is uh, the the bad guy who wears a shirt. With his own that's right. On that's right. Cuffs. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And he that's, was also kind of on. You know, he was also in a um, the the television show Under the Dome. He had a great role as uh, as one of the uh, the town. Yeah, I, I, he had a great role. Okay, see, I never watched. I that. believe he was like the town the town weirdo or the town drunk or something like that in that show. But no. Yeah. Well, and I and I mean, I think I think Roland Emmerich. You know, I think it must have liked him because he used him again. He was kind of part of Mel Gibson's motley crew of uh, that's of right, that's right. Yes, Patriot also directed too. by Roland Emmerich. So Luke's memories at this point resurface full, fully in the film. You know, there's there's a wonderful scene that is pretty much an exact reenactment of the Vietnam episode that led to the deaths of both of both Devereaux and Andrew Scott. So he immediately takes Devereaux, or excuse me, he takes Veronica and runs, kicks the gun once again out of Lundgren's hand. I can only imagine at this scene in the film, he probably did not kick the gun as hard this time. Um, so yeah, he takes Veronica and runs, no. and Scott's memories also resurface, you know, thus, like I said, reigniting their feud. Um, 
eventually Scott uh, you know secures command of the Unisol program because he is intimidating as all hell and is able to eventually kill everybody in the program. One of the scenes, one of my favorite scenes in the film that I've just always loved is where is where Andrew Scott's memories fully resurface. If you, if you remember Devereaux's, Devereaux's memories are slowly coming, you know, throughout throughout the film. You know, at the beginning of the film it's just, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there and then he runs as opposed to Andrew Scott's memories his don't fully resurface until, but it's a wonderful scene where he is crouching and Edo Ross says, you know, GR-13, get back in the truck. And Lundgren isn't moving and he repeats it again, GR-13, get back in the truck. And how Lundgren stands up, turns around and says, my name is Sergeant Andrew Scott. He looks so freaking scary in that scene when he turns around and yes. says, I am Sergeant Andrew Scott. My oh, yeah. God. Yeah. Well, and then just that way that he swings his arm with his gun. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just such a it's such a cool, just a cool way of swinging your arm and shooting somebody. And yeah. And and then that that effect of the, 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 the you know, the blood squib in Edo Ross's eye. I mean, that is just well, that scene is so cool. Awesome. And I, I could be wrong in this, but I need to double check. I believe in the trailer for the film when it says. Dolph Lundgren, and as soon as his name flashes on screen in the trailer, they show that scene. It is that scene of him with one motion just swinging the gun out of, of its holster and, and, and blowing away uh, Colonel Perry. Oh, no, I, I, I believe you're right. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, that's that's just the moment right there where, where you know that he's everything's come back fully. Uh, I mean, you had these... These, you know, kind of little brief snippets where you know Lundgren, when uh, Van Dam first gets away with uh, with um, with Allie Walker's character, and, and he kind of mutters a traitor. So that kind of gives you a little bit of a hint that uh, that that things are coming back to him. But yeah, it's that moment right there with uh, where he kills uh, Colonel Perry is where you're like, okay, yeah, it, it's on now, and it only gets better when he he gets right back into the uh, yeah. So the yeah, he takes control, and the chase is. Fully on. The chase is fully on, and we see them. We we kind of skimmed over the hotel scene, but I wanted to touch upon the hotel scene real quick because at this point, you know, in the in the hotel scene, this is before Andrew Scott, you know, secures command of of the Unisol program. Um, and I'd like to think maybe his memories are slowly resurfacing at this point. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, basically at that point, you know, like you said, the the chase is fully on. And you know we go from the, the the murder of Colonel Perry and and which is you know pretty pretty heavy moment to where you know Lundgren basically announces what their new orders are to the rest of the team and you, and you have that great scene where you know he basically punches through the guy's face which is another you know badass moment um, and so yeah it's, it's it's like you said I mean it, at that point the movie is completely it, it's completely well and we also in a get very good way. the the conflict of sorts you know with the soldiers and that they're essentially running on a battery you know these soldiers need to be cooled on ice because they overheat I always thought that was a that was a interesting little character touch to the soldiers because it adds it adds a sense of immediacy to the action you know these soldiers can do amazing things let's face it but they need to be cooled down they can overheat like you know like a piece of machinery or you know like anything else so the fact that they um, need to be cooled down and need to be you know that they run on ice I always thought was was an interesting touch I couldn't help but wonder if 
that was thrown in mainly to show Jean-Claude's butt. You know, if you remember around this time, you know, these early films of Jean-Claude, it seemed like every yeah. single one of his films, you'd always get a butt shot from him and it'd be fully glistening you know, right there on screen. Sure. I couldn't help if they threw that in purely just to oh, kind yeah. of hit the, the Jean-Claude butt quota at the time. Well, that's 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 something that, I mean, that's something that you know Devlin and Emmerich that you know they both mention on the uh, the interviews on the on the special edition is that you know one of the things they did when they agreed to do the movie is you know they hadn't seen a lot of Van Damme's movies and so they basically just went and rented like all of them and you know did a to kind of figure out is okay what do we have what are we working with here what is this guy what are his strengths what are his weaknesses and i think that was something that they uh, that i know devlin mentioned is that you know all these movies you know you're seeing his ass and so you know we've got to I mean, we've got to give it you know the best ass shot ever and and i mean i i you know if, if you're gonna judge something like that i mean they they pretty much do I mean, yeah no and you know i i distinctly remember and i, I think you can probably find this online as well but I, I distinctly remember when Sudden Death, the uh, the hockey thriller that, uh, that Jean-Claude did back in 1995, when that came out, um, Entertainment Weekly did a review for it. And it was a, it was a small review. Um, but I remember they said, one thing that is missing in this film for once from a Jean-Claude Van Damme picture is a shot of his butt. And we are A-OK with that. And I always just thought that was hilarious. Because, yeah, if you look at every one of his early films, it was just <laughs> you. You would always get it, you know, at some point. Well, and then you know, to kind of go back to what we were talking about with, uh, you know, why did this movie do more for Van Damme's career than it did for Lundgren? I think it's because you had shots like that of Van Damme that that made. I think Van Damme at that point was was a much more popular performer with women. And I think, you know, stuff like that was, was put in for, for the female viewers. And, uh, and, and I think that was kind of an advantage that he had over Lundgren in that, uh, you know, not that women I didn't like Lundgren, but, I mean, he, Van Damme was kind of a much bigger hit with, uh, with women than, than a lot of these, uh, these action stars have been. And so I think that's why you had those kind of shots. And, and I think that's ultimately one of the reasons that he went on to have have more success. Well, now let me ask you this, right? because De Devereaux in this film, or you know Jean Claude, however you want to refer to him, he is doing he is doing a great job. I mean, I you watch the film and you can't you can't imagine or picture anyone else in this film. And you know Van Damme's charisma, I, I always felt you know in every one of his pictures, he is just extremely charismatic. And when you see him in interviews, I mean, he is just. He is just so goofy and, you know, and silly. I mean, he, he seems like a really cool guy. And in this film, you really do sympathize and you really do care for his character. I always wondered, and this is just my theory on this one, but I always wondered, with as charismatic as Van Damme is or, or was in 1992, you know, when this film was out, even when Devereaux's memories resurface, he is still playing the role very robotic, and very, you know, very, very silent, where he doesn't speak a heck of a lot, as opposed to Lundgren, where his memories are resurfacing. He is just right. completely batshit going off the rails. I mean, he is acting completely human again. And I could not help but wonder, again, this is just my theory, but I could not help but wonder if Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin 
they looked at Dolph, they looked at Jean-Claude, and maybe at this point in their careers, they said, you know what, Dolph, you have a little bit more acting range, acting chops, we want you to go, you know, completely off the rails, do what you need to do. You know, Jean-Claude, you're not quite there yet, maybe dial this back a bit and play it this way. That could be my theory on this one, but I always thought that was interesting. No, I, I, I tend to agree. I mean, I, I think uh, later on, you know, after Universal Soldier, I think, you know, Van Damme showed that he was way more charismatic. I mean, I think if you look at him in Hard Target and then you look at him in Time Cop, I, I think there's a, a real growth in just that short amount of time from what you saw him do and stuff like Lionheart and, uh, and you know, maybe even d- Double Impact. And then, you know, kind of is... is what he's doing in Universal Soldier, even though I think he is pretty good in it, um, he, he really grew as an actor once he started doing Hard Target and Time Cop and stuff like that. So I, and I think you're right. I mean, Lundgren is the guy who's kind of got to, to do the heavy lifting in terms of the performance, uh, whereas, you know, his Van Damme is a little more subdued. Um, but I mean, I, I think he does a good job, and I, I think especially with some of the more comedic moments, I mean, he has a very good, nice, you know, sort of deadpan delivery, uh, especially the scene in the in the diner. I think it's, it's well. I'm glad you brought that up. Excellent segue. Yeah, because the greasy diner scene, the scene where they're at that greasy spoon diner, is is such an amazing scene. It is fun. You know, you, you have you have Jean Claude uh, getting to discover food for the first time. I mean, it's an amazing scene. And unfortunately, he cannot pay, yeah. and so we, it's a great opportunity for him to display his martial arts skills. Which, let's face it, it's an hour in the film, and you know Jean Claude, his his name got on the map for you know being this you know this good-looking you know martial artist at the time. And in this film, he does not display his martial arts skills once until this scene. And so one thing about this scene that I always thought was, again, screenwriting 101. What I love about it is. You have humor, but you also you also get to display his martial arts. You also get to show that he is a badass who can handle himself. And let's face it, you're going to hire a guy like Jean-Claude Van Damme. At this point in his career, you need to see him do, even if it's just a little bit, because let's face it, in Universal Soldier, he doesn't do a heck of a lot, but you do need to see him do a little bit of his martial arts. And he does it. it, it it's a great scene. Yeah, no, it, it's a good showcase for him. It, it's, a, it's a funny scene. I, I really, you know, who's playing the, the short order cook is a, a guy named Alan Graff, who is, is you know, more prominently kind of known as being more of a stuntman, stunt performer. But, you know, did, is, he shows up in a lot of Walter Hill movies. But I, he's great in his little little scene as the short order cook. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, that, that scene is uh, it's, it's funny. Has the you know good martial arts in it, and yeah, it's it's the, it's a perfect kind of scene to kind of for the audience to kind of have have a nice laugh and uh, to just kind of you know after seeing the horrors of what uh, what Andrew Scott has done on on his side of the story to come over and, and to get something with a little more humor on Van Damme's side. Yeah, well, and I mean, how hilarious! I mean, just the way the way Van Damme plays that scene. And the line where he says, I just want to eat. And if you remember, there's there's a small piece of sandwich hanging out of his yes. mouth when he says it. But just how he looks and he just says, I just want to eat. Yes. Van Damme plays that perfectly. I mean, I don't know how many takes. I'd like to know how many takes they had to do that scene. But, man, it, it comes off just beautifully. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. It's a good scene. 
um, and you know it, it's uh, it, it also kind of sets up because uh, I think at that at that point is where uh, uh, the um, Ali Walker's character is, is trying to kind of dig up a little more information about you know what what's been going on with the program. So it, you know it's it's a it's a good chance for to have Van Dam and sort of a fish out of water. Uh, you know what exactly you know wh- why am I here? What am I doing? It, and and yeah, it, it works really well. It's a, it's a, it's a one of my favorite scenes in the movie, and which considering that that Lundgren isn't involved. Well, and I, you you I, brought I, up I, something else that I want to that I want to hit upon that I just think is extremely important to note, especially considering the films of the of the early 1990s, and I think Universal Soldier definitely does this as well. But the humor is sprinkled in and just to the right doses, and I feel that this is a common. This is a common trait of oh, all yeah. of those 80s and 90s action films to where, you know, if you take a look at, say, for example, Die Hard or The Last Boy Scout or even this one, you know, it is a full-on action picture th- through and through. I mean, this belongs in the in the action genre, no doubt about it. But the humor that's in there, like I said, is just, it's, it's put in in just the right doses. And it, that this is something that I feel is lost from action films nowadays because, you know, you'll have an action picture, but if it tries to do the humor, it it does it way too much. It's almost like they're trying too hard. And as much as I like the Expendables films, I mean, I love them, don't get me wrong, but if you look at the Expendables films, they're trying to do humor as well, but <laughs> if you look at Expendables 3, it's become a self-parody, you know, of, of, of everything that it's trying to do. And I think that is the wrong the wrong direction to go but if you look at universal soldier action movie yes we have the scenes you have the scene in the diner you have the scene in the, in the motel with the with the <laughs> with the manager's mother you know who, who's checking out van damme and everything i mean it it's hilarious but it, it comes in you're able to you're able to have a quick chuckle and then it goes right back to the action which is i feel what these pictures should do yeah i mean i i think there's you know, in, in more recent, you know, action movies, when they want to go the humorous route, I mean, they just will just hit you so far upside the head. Um, you know, one example, and it's a movie that I know a lot of people love, but it's where I, where I think they, I just can't get into how how they really have to wink at the audience so hard is is Hot Fuzz. That's kind of the one that comes to mind where. It's like instead of making a, an actual cop buddy film, they just constantly have to stop everything and really hammer home and make sure everybody knows. Ah, see, this is funny. This is comedy. We're 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 trying to do this like Point Break. We're we're this is the part where we're like bad boys too. And I I don't know. I'm just not into it. I I, I like it more when you can have the humor in these movies. But you, you don't have to stop everything and, and basically announce it to everybody. You can just do your gags, do your jokes, and move on to the action. And, and that's, that's the style I like. That's the style that is, is in Universal Soldier, in Last Boy Scout, Die Hard, all those kind of movies. You know, they're great action pictures, full of great characters, and a lot of you know, fun explosions and all that stuff. But yeah, the the, the the element of humor is really what sets them apart. And well, and you know, I'm going to go ahead and say it. And you know, many may disagree with me with this one. You know, but I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. I honestly think that one of the things that killed the Expendables franchise is just the constant 
self-referential humor. They did a little bit of it in Expendables 2. And to be honest, I felt they did a little too much of it in Expendables 2, but I let it go. But by the time Expendables 3 came along, it's just self-referential, you know, to the point where, you know, you even have, it, it's, I mean, you go into the Expendables movies, and you know that it's Stallone. You know that it's Arnold. You know that there's Bruce Willis there. You don't need them looking at the camera. I mean, they might as well have been looking at the camera, let's face it. But you don't need them, hey, remember when I said, I'll be back? That's my catchphrase. Hey, I, you know, I'm yippee Kaye, motherfucker. You know, you, you don't need that. And these films nowadays, you know, hopefully, I, I have hope that one day we'll get, you know, some action pictures similar to what was in the 90s, to where they're able to find a balance. But what has been coming out within the past 10 years, I haven't been able to find it. Well, I mean, I would say I think there is a, a really strong undercurrent of humor that definitely works and does not detract from the film in the John Wick pictures. I think those ones right. have done a good job of, of giving you some some very funny character beats and you know some 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 you know not fall down out of your seat funny, but they've they've been able to incorporate a, a good sense of humor without you know turning into parody. And I, I think that's been one of the reasons those movies have been successful is because yeah they have the the badass action and you've got Keanu Reeves you know blowing away people and we all, all love seeing that but there is this undercurrent of humor in those movies that uh, I think has kind of set them apart and I think that's one of the reasons why that's a franchise that that is kind of getting more and more popular as, as the, at least far more popular than I think people were anticipating. No, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. Now. And, you know, you brought this up uh, You brought this up when we talked about Red Scorpion, but, you know, the Hitman's Bodyguard could have been, you know, could have been really cool, but the fact that it is just getting yeah. so bogged down in, in its humor, it's almost like its Too head much. is so far up its own ass to where it, it knows that it's amazing and knows that it's hilarious. You know, yeah. I almost feel hurts it in the end. Yeah, and, and, you know, I I think, you know, really the master at kind of mixing this sort of stuff with his scripts was, was Shane Black, and, uh, you know, his most recent uh, movie, The Nice you know nice Guys, I, I feel was almost kind of the opposite, where I, I wish that there had been more action in it, and, you know, I felt like I wanted more of an action comedy, and it ended up being, I, mean, I like the movie, it's a good picture, so, uh, but... I wish it would have had a little more of that Lethal Weapon, Last Boy Scout, you know, Long Kiss Good Night kind of vibe to it. Um, yeah, that's another one, Long Kiss Good Night. That's just, I think, a, a phenomenal example of mixing action humor. I, I think where a lot of these action movies with their with their humor, where they kind of lose it, is when it comes to the villain. Because a lot of times you get these action comedies, and you know, they they have these villains who are just kind of idiots, and that's kind of part of the joke. And, and that's supposed to be part of the, the, of the, the, the humorous element to the film. And, and that's where they go wrong. It's like if you, when you've got a, a good action comedy like a 48 Hours or a Midnight Run, you want the villains to yeah. still be scary. And, and that's something that is also true in Universal Soldier is you can have all these funny moments and that's all great. But you know what? I mean, Dolph Lundgren, for it, as, even though he has some funny moments, he's still scary. And you know that he will kill you as soon as he looks at you. And that's kind of the difference. Is if you're going to have that humorous tone, you better make sure that your villain is still... Uh, no, yeah, no, you're badass. exactly right. So as we move on in the film, uh, 
Veronica Roberts is able to get the name of the doctor, the doctor who was responsible for helping revive these these universal soldiers. Um, so the doctor's name is Dr. Christopher Greger, who is portrayed by the late great Jerry Orbach. I love him in this role. He's only in the role, you know, for yeah. maybe five. Well, if you, I'd say five minutes. If you look at the alternate ending, it's actually ten minutes. But his his presence in the film yeah. definitely lends a a sense of respectability to the entire proceedings because he is such an amazing accomplished actor and when he shows up in this film again a, on the offset it looks like it's just this you know clunky meathead action picture but he shows up and kind of helps elevate it and 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 make it something a little different yeah yeah you need somebody like him in this part you need kind of a, a classy actor who, uh, you know, can kind of ground the movie. And, you know, I mean, basically his part is a lot of exposition. I mean, he's basically explaining what happened, what was going on with the program, you know, how did these guys survive. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's perfect in it. I mean, it's a brief role, um, but, I mean, I think he's, he's really good. He, I mean, the guy was a really good actor. Obviously, uh, you know, was on Law and Order for for years and years, and uh, yeah, so yeah, a, a fine choice, and I think he does a good job with a with a small amount of screen time. Well, and what's hilarious is if you go to Universal Soldier Regeneration again, you know, two thousand nine, they have another Doctor character to provide exposition. That I cannot help but wonder if they were trying to go for a Jerry Orbach look because. He looks like a younger version of Jerry Orbach. I, I, I can't remember the actor's name, but it is hilarious if you watch yeah. it. It's it, it's that's it, clearly what they're going for, right? Uh, yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah, no, you, I kind of forgot about it. But <laughs> now that you mentioned it, you're absolutely right. Yeah, that, that's actually a good point. So we get to the final act of the film. Luke Devereaux has been reunited with with his parents. Um, we're actually kind of jumping ahead. Excuse me. Um, there's a final chase between Devereaux and between Andrew Scott with the massive, you know, the mobile command center, this big oh, truck. Yeah. Um, and it falls off the cliff. You think that Andrew Scott is dead, that he, there's no way any human could have survived that, but he does survive it. And when we see Andrew Scott again, he doesn't have a single scratch on him. I, I don't know how he was able to survive that blast. I don't know how he was able to do it without a, with you with a, without a bruise on him that at least that we cannot see but i yeah, guess that just I proves mean, you know <laughs> that's 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 you know it, it's basically just where the movie kind of takes a page out of, out of most horror movies where you know you think the the monster is dead you've seen it die you, you're sure it's gone but of course it pops back up again so to me you know if you have a problem with that then it's like you probably have a problem with most of the movie. It's it's. Are we are we really happy if that's how Lundgren is is going to be uh, killed off in this movie? It's yeah. Exploding in the, the the mobile command center. We don't want a final showdown. Of course you do. So yeah, I have no problem with that. And you know it, it's the fact that you that at least Van Dam and Allie Walker's characters think he's dead. You know it sets up the fact that he's going to go have this reunion with his parents and everything's kind of quiet and mellow. And I think we should take a moment to point out that uh, his father is played by uh, you know, the recently passed uh, Rance Howard, who was you know, Ron Howard's actual father, um, just passed away about a month ago. 
and uh, so that's something to point out. Um, but I think it, it's it's a the fact that you think Lundgren is dead, it makes it believable that he can now go back to his parents and and have this touching reunion. And uh, of course, everybody watching the movie knows that there's still a, a little bit a little a little personal business that's going to be tended to i didn't catch on to this i didn't even think about this you know the first few times i you know i watched the film but i have the last couple times i've watched it it's something i've thought about how was how was andrew scott able to find Devereaux and veronica roberts i mean i'm assuming okay did he know where Devereaux lived i mean he i mean obviously he had to have for him to find Devereaux at his parents farmhouse right I mean you know it, it, look it was it was before smartphones and before not necessarily before the internet but certainly widespread use of the internet so I, I just I like to think that you know somehow maybe he used 1-800 collect <laughs> to, to contact somebody that that might be able to to give him this information and I you know it's like hey if uh if, if the Terminator can track down all the different Sarah Connors, then you know why can't uh, why can't Andrew Scott find uh, find uh, you know Luke? Devil I didn't even think Sarah about that. I didn't even think about 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 the Terminator finding Sarah Connor. But yeah, no, you're you're right. It's something that I didn't really think about a heck of a lot, and I let it go because as we get to this final fight scene, this is this is what we want. This is what we've been asking for. Anybody who walked into this film. This is what we want to see. And this final fight scene, like I said at the beginning of the movie, they square off. And this final fight scene, it is brutal. It is well done. It's a lot of, you know, back and forth, back and forth. But, you know, it, it, it pays off so well. One of the things that I love about it is just the fact that it takes place in the rain. You know, and that this isn't old. I mean, it, it it's, it's fairly cliche oh, yeah. at this point, you know. But, um, you know, anytime you want to add some dramatic gravitas to your to your final climactic scene when you just see your your two guys duking it out whether it's whether it's a fist fight whether it's a street fight whether it's a you know it's a football game for that matter but when it's in the rain and they are muddy i i just think that that lends just so much more drama and you know um to the entire proceedings no i i agree you got you got the rain you know you've got uh, you know, just the, the mud and the farmhouse. I mean, that, it's like it's it just the way it just covers Van Dam when he's getting thrown around, and yeah, that whole setting, that that whole farmhouse setting. Uh, it's it's such a well well constructed fight scene. Um, you know, it's look. I mean, that's that's why ultimately, you know, that's why we're watching this movie. We want to see these two guys go head to head. You know, we got a brief taste of it in the in the opening sequence. But, you know, that was just kind of a warm-up. You know, we know that, you know, sooner or later we're going to get the real deal. And, and they, they totally deliver, and they completely bring it. And I love how, you know, even though, you know, Lundgren is a martial artist, and he's got that background, and he has shown it in films, you know, that's not what he's doing in this fight scene. You know, that it's Van Damme who's doing, who's getting all the big kicks, and, and that, that those kind of moves. You know, Lundgren, it's, it's sheer power and brute force strength. And you know, throwing Van Dam around, and you know these hard, these hard punches, and, uh, and and to me, that's that's what makes the the, the fight scene so great. Is you have these two different styles just clashing. Oh, it's brutal! I mean, just the scene of of you know Andrew Scott slamming Devereaux's 
head into the into the car door just repeatedly. I mean, it is just extremely brutal and unsettling. And you know, the thing I, I love about yeah. the uh, about the final fight scene is it's a little bit of back and forth at the beginning, but it kind of goes in waves, if you will. I mean, you know, first of all, Lundgren has an unfair advantage over yeah. over Van Damme in these scenes because he's just completely jacked on the muscle enhancers. You know, as they as they establish, but the, like I said, the fight goes in waves, right. and that right. you know the first part, it's just Van Dam just totally getting the shit kicked out of him for the entire to to the point where he's he's almost dead. I mean, he's on the verge of death. Then Devereaux's able to level the playing field. Yeah. He injects himself with these muscle enhancers, which I always thought was hilarious because I would think that I wouldn't think that they're as fast acting as they are apparently, but you know whatever. <laughs> Well, hey, you know that's it's it's the same stuff. He's got he's got hooked up with <laughs> so, a very long. Yeah, so he train. levels the playing field, and then the fight becomes you know really mono a mono. I love that scene where Lundgren is. It's one of the scenes I will admit right now, as wonderful as Lundgren is in in this in the entire movie, it's one of the moments where his acting is not the best, but it's where he's about to die and he looks at he looks. He looks at Devro as his eyes are all bloody and everything, and he says, "You're dead, soldier." And he says it like that. It's one part that I feel like maybe they could have done another take on, but I do love, I do love Van Damme's response, how he just says, "No, I'm alive," and, you know. Oh yeah, no, I I never really had that problem with uh, with Lundgren. I mean, I think I think the whole final sequence, he he's just a blast. Uh, I, mean, I, I don't think we mentioned the, the, the grenade toss when he uh, throws the grenade at Allie Walker as she was just running, and that slow-mo of his eyes, and he's pulling the pin, and then he tosses it, and then his, his, his celebratory cheer, I mean, that's all just great stuff, and, uh, and yeah, so I never, I mean, and then the, the later parts that you're speaking about, I never really... Uh, I never really had any issue with them. I think that he was just on fire. And so, again, season. this is early in Jean-Claude's career. What would one of the films early in Jean-Claude's career be without his signature kick? And, you know, what is what is so amazing about, you know, his signature kick? I believe... Oh, sure. I believe, what is it referred to? Is it the helicopter kick or his 360? But that, that was his move back in the day, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that was, that was yeah, that was his big thing. And, uh, and yeah, you knew you had to get that in this movie. And I mean, it's probably, to me, it's probably his defining, uh, his defining, uh, spinning. Oh yeah. Is, is in this and movie. what's amazing about it. I was actually, I was actually watching a, a video on YouTube about it. What's amazing about it is it's really, I mean, it, it, look, it's something I cannot do. I'll admit that right now, but it's, yeah. it's really not right. the greatest move in the world. I mean, it, it's something that really anyone who is trained, maybe not so much in martial arts, but maybe even. Uh, what was it I read that you know because he's classically trained in ballet so the fact that you know he is so yeah. limber um, but I yeah I guess if you watch every time he does this kick it's done in slow motion and I gotta I gotta think that the reason why it just looks so amazing every time you would see it in the early 90s every time he did it is because every time it's shown it's in slow-mo because if you see it when it's not in slow-mo yeah. it's really not not that spectacular but man in this scene, in the rain, when he jumps up in the air, does that spinning kick, it looks sweet. Oh no, absolutely. Um, it's yeah, and, and I and I know uh, that's kind of one of the things that even though I really enjoyed Expendables two, 
there's you know he does the big kick uh, uh, in that one, but then they they kind of re-loop it and do it again. Yeah. Um, and it's I don't know it was kind of and it's also it's it's shot with like a you know very dark and I don't I don't know there, there's there's some hinky stuff in his his final fight scene with Stallone in that movie but but not definitely not the case in Nurse Soldier I mean it, I mean the kick looks great um, it's 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 what you want in that moment and you know we've we've been waiting for it and and you know, Roland Emmerich you know he he knows that this movie is basically riding on this fight scene. And even though what's come before it has been entertaining, if this doesn't deliver, if people are walking out going, yeah, it was pretty good, but yeah, you know, that final fight, it just it wasn't what I thought it would be, then you, you really have nothing at that point. So, you know, definitely give credit to Emmerich for... for, for, for and when you have a villain who is as evil and dastardly as, as Lundgren is in this film, you know, you need your villain to die. And th this is a cliche that is, that is with with all action pictures, but, you know, you just can't have your villain, you know, just die by getting shot, you know what I mean? Nowadays, it seems like that that's done, this is done in action movies, where it seems like it's it's acceptable for, for the hero to die by, you know, a couple gunshots or whatever, but back in the 90s, you, you had to see your hero die, or excuse me, your villain die, and so, it, and it had to be a glorious death, and man, sure. what a death does Lundgren get? He just gets impaled on this hay baler and you know you'd think anyone else that would kill him but then yeah. he comes back for that one for that because he's that serial killer if you will he comes back and oh yeah and um van damme yes. is able to turn on the hay baler and just get him mulched up and you get that final line from him where he says you're discharged sarge <laughs> it's it's oh yeah no that's 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 one of the the better, probably one of the better, you know, send off lines that that Van Dam has had. Oh yeah, um, it's it's like, ridiculous, uh, but it works. <laughs> I mean, oh yeah, no, it's uh, it's 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 a great it's a great death. It's a you know, it's it's the the, the big death that that villains always had in the in these movies back then. Um, I I wish I feel like the era of the 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 over the top villain death is kind of exactly gone away. You don't really see. I don't know. There really aren't as many memorable ones these days as there used to be. I mean, that used to be, you know, you had to come up with these different ways to to, to kill off these these major villains, and that that's something that's definitely been lost in action films now. But yeah, I I, I love Lundgren's demise. I always thought that there should have been some sort of a. You know, I know a lot. Movies didn't really do as many, you know, post-credit scenes as they do now. Now it, it seems like every movie has them. But there, I always felt like there should have been. It would have been cool if there had been some kind of scene of, you know, when the movie's all over and everything's fine and everything's done, that you had some kind of scene of like, you know, a, a, a crew of, of military personnel at the scene of uh, of the final fight at the farmhouse. And maybe you have somebody who's kind of scooping up all of Lundgren's, you know, basically all his, his, his bits of flesh that are all over the place. You know, go to, to, to maybe somebody in charge and say, hey, you know, what do we want me to do with these? And just end it with the, you know, somebody really official looking just saying, you know, put it on ice. I always oh, that, that would have been cool. Because that's basically what they did in Regeneration, yeah. is it not? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pretty more or less. I mean, that's kind of what it all came from. So I mean I think that that would have been kind of a nice little post-credits stinger that you know you, you didn't really get too many of those back in, in those days, 
Um, you had kind of the famous one. Uh, I think it was what the 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 Jason goes to hell, where there was the moment with the the Freddy Krueger where they kind of teased the fact that they would one day have a movie together, and that was kind of a big deal at the time. Um, but I always thought it would have been nice to have a little you know, post-credit scene like that to just just kind of give you a, a little hint that maybe it's, it's Well, one thing I'm glad that they didn't go with, I'm, I'm extremely glad that, <laughs> that, that luckily was saved for the, the cutting room floor, is the alternate ending. Are you a fan of the alternate ending? Yeah. No, no. I mean, it's it's fine to have it as some kind of a historical record that you can go look at. But no, it's I don't, it's I don't like it at all. it's disturbing. You know, I, I will say that. You know, basically the alternate ending is uh, Andrew yeah. Scott. You know, Andrew Scott meets his demise the same way that he meets his demise in the in the final cut. But we find out that Luke's dad is actually a fake, and he is working with Doctor Gregor, and they're trying to cover up the project. So they essentially they just start blowing Luke away, and it's. It's really, like I said, it, it, it's kind of disturbing watching because they are just mercilessly just, you know, um, shooting him down and he's struggling trying to get up and they just keep they just keep shooting him. It's very similar in a lot of ways to this scene in, in Robocop where, where Alex Murphy meets his demise, you know. Um, eventually yeah. Luke is able to get the upper hand on, on these yeah. guys um, and it's revealed, it, it's a really, um, it's almost kind of a cheesy scene. But it's revealed that Luke died of natural cause, natural causes. He's walking with Veronica Roberts, and he's wearing like a fedora hat and everything. Um, yeah, he dies of natural causes. It's I'll give it credit. It is clever, but it's way too somber considering everything that that precedes it. It belongs in a different movie completely. Yeah, no, it, it's it's not. I mean, again, it's it's fine. Put it on the the special edition. You know, let let's make sure it's something that we can kind of take a look at. But no, it, it's it's not. I'm glad they did not go that direction because uh, uh, it, it it just does not work at all. And it's it's just it's too it's too twisty and too it's just trying a little too hard. And sometimes the more conventional. Now I know that they did right. earlier. You know, the sequel to Universal Soldier came out in 1999, but this one had nothing to do with Carl Co Studios. Roland Emmerich had nothing to do with it. Mario Casar had nothing right. to do with it. I mean, it was pretty much done as a last ditch effort to resurrect, as, as you know, as an attempt to resurrect uh, Jean Claude's career, who you know his star was rapidly falling around this time. Right. Um, there's also then the the made for TV. Uh, Canadian sequels that were done that I believe were kind of backdoor pilots for yeah. a potential TV series. For all intents and purposes, for anyone listening or for anyone yeah. who is curious about the franchise, my advice, I cannot strongly say this enough, to avoid the Canadian sequels and to avoid the, the Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, Universal yes. Soldier The Return is what it's called. Yeah, well, when it comes to the the Canadian ones, uh, pretty much all that's kind of stuck with me is the fact that uh, you know Jeff Wincott is involved in them. Who I mean, I'm a big fan of his. Um, you know, they're not really one of my favorites uh, from of his performances, but I mean, he is in it. Um, but probably the funniest thing about the, the those Canadian movies is I believe it's in the second one where. It, the, the, the movie uh, basically states that Bill Clinton is a universal soldier. Oh, I forgot That's about that. I forgot ends. about You know, and I actually, I did yeah, not but... see the, okay, so the first one, it's, it's called Universal Soldier 2, Brothers in Arms. I saw that one, 
and then the one after that was Unfinished Business. When I saw that Burt Reynolds was in it, I said, yeah, I'm good. I, I don't need this. So I never caught that one, but that that's hilarious. It, well, he's got he's got a uh, and Burt Reynolds has this just ridiculous Irish accent in it. It's uh, it's, well, it's and, so it's so absurd. Uh, yeah. Well, and what is so what is such a shame and is just so sad about uh, about Universal Soldier: The Return is like I said, this came out in 1999. Uh, Van Damme's career was not where it was. I mean, he you know Universal Studios pretty much turned their back on him, and so he was grasping at straws trying to find anything to latch onto his career. And everything about everything that made the original Universal Soldier so great and so solid, they completely throw out the window in in the return. I mean, you know, yeah. Devereaux, excuse me, Van Damme is playing the role. He is showing that charisma that he has, but he is playing the role way too human, which is ridiculous. I mean, you know, I know earlier we were talking about how how he's playing the role a little too robotic in in you know the 1992 version and the 99 version he's playing it so human to where it, he's almost he's ridiculous i mean i read i read one review and i wish i would have pulled it up but yeah. one review that analyzed the entire series talked about how you you almost picture him you almost think he, he he's the equivalent to like a birthday party clown you picture him like pulling balloons out at some point because he's just ridiculous yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a bad, it's a very bad movie. Um, you know, it, it does not in any way live up to uh, to the original. I, I will say, I do think the final fight between Van Damme and Michael Jai White is decent. It's not a bad showdown between those two. Um, it, that's probably the the best part of the movie. Even though you know Michael Jai White's demise is kind of a, a rip off of uh, Wesley Snipes's demise in Demolition Man. Um, but I mean that I, I will say I do kind of like their final fight, um, but yeah, everything else is, is just junk. Um, you know, Bill Goldberg. You know, I, hey, nothing against the guy's a wrestler; does a fine job there. But yeah, he's just not a, a good presence as as one of the heavies. And um, I, I know because I, I actually read. Um, I don't know if you know uh, Vic Armstrong, who's kind of you know one of the most you know famous stuntmen, stunt coordinators in, in all the movies. Um, you know, he actually was the, the stunt coordinator on Universal Soldier, the original film. I think he is, it's a big reason why there, there are so many cool stunts in the movie. And, you know, and then right after that, he directed Lundgren in Army of One. And I, and I read his book. You know, he put out a book a few years ago. And he actually wrote that he was pretty much set to direct Universal Soldier The Return. And, you know, for whatever reason, the, the Sony went a different direction. And, uh, and and I've I've always wondered, man, if he had directed that one, I, I think it would have been way better. I think the the action would have been so much superior to what ended up happening. So I always think that's kind of one of those sort of what ifs. Uh, what if you know Vic Armstrong? Had been able well, and you to know, to be perfectly honest, even if the action was amazing, I don't think I could have gotten past just the overall script and the overall story because, and and I understand that this is not the Universal the Re Universal Soldier the Return episode. But if you watch that film, it is abundantly clear that it is another script entirely that they tried tacking the Universal Soldier brand onto. Because, it, like I said, it takes everything from yeah. the first one, throws it out the window. Uh, Devereaux suddenly has a daughter in the film, and I have no idea who yeah. the daughter came from. I guess you can assume it's Veronica Roberts, even though 
Um, her character is apparently killed off. Her character is never mentioned. And I think one of the biggest cardinal sins with right. the sequel is the fact that Deborah is working for the program. No way. Here, here's a program that you know was yeah. tracking him down. That was you know trying to kill him. That you know put him through all sorts of horrors. And he is working with the program totally fine and complacent with it. No way. And that, that to me, I remember seeing the sequel in the theaters, and I was I was extremely psyched because I was a Van Damme fan at that point. Universal Soldier is my favorite movie. I couldn't wait, yeah. and I just remember it, it almost felt like they were just giving me the finger <laughs> as I sat down in my in my theater seat. Nah. Yeah, no, I mean that was one I remember when it came out, and I was you know huge fan of the original, and but I it just had that whiff of oh man, this is this is not in any way going to be like the original and so i did not see that one in the theater i you know i did see it when it came out for for on the on the for for rental and yeah it was pretty much as bad as, as you know, thankfully they were able to write the course in 2009 and then again in 2012 with the with the you know two, the two sequels that followed both directed by john hyams i will say those particular sequels um, they do not, like we said earlier, they do not have the feel of the original Universal Soldier, um, but they are definitely better than the sequels, you know, that had come before it. Um, but they, they also don't have the budget that that the original Universal Soldier had, and that is definitely apparent on the films. It's not a huge, um, a huge detractor against you know in, enjoying the film, especially Regeneration. Or Regeneration is is amazing for what it is. Um, but uh, but yeah, it definitely you, you can tell that there are some rim some limitations and some restrictions that are um, you know kind of holding them back a bit. But considering what they have, John Hyams is doing is yeah. doing an amazing job you know with those sequels. Yeah, well, no, definitely. I mean, they're they're considering you know regeneration was uh, you know seventeen years after the original. It, it's it far exceeds what you think you could have gotten out of a sequel made 17 years later that was, you know, straight to video um, with, you know, Van Damme and Lundgren at their, their ages at that point. I mean, the, the fact that it turned out as good as it did is, is incredible. And, yeah, and then even Day of Reckoning, you know, Day of Reckoning, I think it, it, it goes a little too much into the David Lynch type of territory and and it's fine that you know i think a little of that goes a long way and i don't mind a little of it but i do like the movie it, it's very good um when it gets to the action the action is great i love the scott adkins uh Lundgren fight in that movie I think it's phenomenal um the you know van damme in, in, in day of reckoning it's it's pretty strange. I mean, it's kind of hard to, to look at the original movie and then see where, where Vietnam is in the Day of Reckoning, but it's its own beast. It, it, it kind of goes for a bit of an Apocalypse Now vibe at the end, and uh, I think it does, for the most part, work, and, and I love. I, mean, I really do enjoy both of the John Hyams films. I would love it if he could, you know, do a, another film in the series. I know that he's, you know, he's kind of moved on and is doing other things, and I don't think that the, that the that uh, the studios are, are really looking to do another one. But hey, I I always figure if you can make you know seven films in the sniper franchise, I, I think maybe there's at least oh most definitely most definitely. Soldier. And you know, as as we wrap this film up, um, obviously it's going to get a recommend 
recommend from both of us um, <laughs> wholeheartedly because we've been going on about this film for, for longer than the movie is actually. Um, but I'm curious, why would you give it a recommend? Not just not just as a as a Dolph Lundgren picture, not just as a Van Damme picture, but you know just as 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 what it is. Why does it get you recommend, Chris? I mean, look, it, it's got everything that this era was known for. You know, it's big fight scenes, big guns, big explosions. Everything's big. I mean, even though, like I said earlier, the budget is not not anywhere close to stuff like Terminator Two or a lot of the you know the Die Hard films. And and I'm not trying to say that it's it's quite at the level of those movies, but it's it's awesome. It's just great. It's it's you know really. Probably, it definitely is my favorite Lundgren film. Um, it's my favorite movie that Van Damme is in. I, I tend to, you know, performance-wise, I, I, I like a Hard Target, you know, for his performance a little more. But Universal Soldier is, is such a, a great uh, example of, of these two guys in their prime, you know, locking horns. And, and, and I mean, look, anything... Is there is there anything better than the supermarket scene in this movie? I mean, we didn't touch on it earlier, but I mean that if you're a Lundgren fan, is there a, is there a better scene that he's had in a movie ever than that supermarket scene? It's just yeah, that so scene is and is readily available on YouTube and rightfully so because it is one of the one of the best oh, yeah. scenes. And it's yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that we that we did not hit that. But yeah, the supermarket scene. Any review that you pick up. For Universal Soldier, it's amazing actually. Any review that you pick up for the film, especially upon its release, you know, from from any kind of uh, publications, newspapers, trades, anything like that, will will mention that scene in some kind of way. Um, it, it is phenomenally done. Yeah, I mean, so to me, that's that's just uh, you look at that scene, and I mean, what what movies that are coming out today have anything like that i mean there's just nothing like that being made now and uh, it, it's it's too bad um but i mean that that just that scene alone justifies the whole movie but the whole movie is great so it, it just it you can say maybe part of it is nostalgia because it just reminds me when all these kind of movies were coming out and kind of you know how how awesome it was to to see them you know over and over again and never lost that impact but i don't think it is just nostalgia because i mean i saw it on the big screen a few years ago with lundgren in the same theater that's right and it still holds up it was it was it was still a phenomenal experience so so even though i was not able to see it on the big screen back in 1992 i i atoned for it and and did uh, make the pilgrimage to see it on the big screen uh, with lundgren in attendance in uh, 2014 so I no, like I, I, I'm right there with you on everything. Um, it definitely gets my my uh, wholehearted recommend. I mean, you know, everything about early '90s action cinema that made it great is right here within Universal Soldier. The performances are all solid. Yes. The film never lets yes. up. It has an excellent villain who you who you will remember. I mean, when when the credits roll, you will remember Dolph Lundgren's villain, and it has a hero who you truly sympathize with. You know, Van Damme. While his acting range in the film is fairly limited, you do really feel for for his his character. I mean, he is doing a wonderful job with it. And, you know, in the end, the film, I feel, just has such an originality to it that truly makes it stand out and remain memorable of, of 
you know, everything that had come out around this time. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it, it typifies an era. Um, you know, there, the, that is to me the, the sweet spot, the sweet spot of the action genre is pretty much 87 to 92. And, Look, there have been tons. There were tons of great movies before that time period, and there have been a ton since. But if you're asking me what was the just the ultimate sweet spot of action movies, those were the years. And you know, this was kind of right at the end of it. And it, it's, it's it's one of my favorite. Well, I, I truly hope if anyone is listening, um, it would be great if uh, it'd be great if Mr. Lundgren is listening. But I truly hope that we have done justice to to this film because. This is definitely a milestone, and this is one that I have been looking forward to. When I when I started this project, and when you and I were talking about you know me starting up this venture, this was one that I could not wait to get to. And so you know, <laughs> this episode is well over two hours, so I'd say we've definitely covered it um, you know thoroughly. Oh no, no, I, I think we've definitely done the movie justice, and. You know, look, as as you pursue this venture going through Lundgren's career, there's going to be plenty of movies where, you know, myself, yourself, whoever you have on, we're not going to be over the moon for them. But for right now, with this movie, there, there, there's really no complaints. It's, it's a perfect 10 out of 10, and uh, and it's, it's, it's holds up to this day, and... I know Roland Emmerich really has it in my eyes, ha- has not been able to match, even though he's had successful movies and some very big movies and even a couple that I actually enjoy. I mean, to me, he's never been able to top this one, and I know he would be horrified to hear that, but it's it's the plain truth. He has not no, ever No, most definitely. Well, I can tell you right now, when uh, we get to Pentathlon, which, uh, which I hope you're looking forward to, but I'm hoping to have you come back for Pentathlon, I don't think that episode is going to be two hours, so we'll just we'll get that out there right now. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no, this, yeah, that I, there, there isn't. I mean, let's we're going to do about a half hour on <laughs> so. Uh, well, hey, Chris, thank you so much once again for joining me. I really do appreciate it. To everyone else out there who's listening, as always, please feel free to rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever else you go to subscribe. We always appreciate the reviews. And we'll see you all next time on I Must Break, this podcast.